This episode is sponsored by Highlander Adventure. Highlander is the leading long-distance hiking event series in the world with over 40 events and 20 countries worldwide. Highlander creates once-in-a-lifetime experiences for all nature lovers, explorers, and modern nomads around the world who are ready to get out of their comfort zone and prep for a multi-day stay out in Mother Nature. Start your journey of becoming a Highlander on HighlanderAdventure.com and check out their upcoming Big Bear Lake event from May 24th through the 28th right here in Southern California. This episode is supported by our good friends over at the 52 Hike Challenge. The 52 Hike Challenge is a global hiking movement where participants gain the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual benefits from hiking once a week for an entire year. Check them out more on 52hikechallenge.com and consider signing up for this life-changing and soul-enriching challenge. The mountains are calling. Let's escape the noise. This is episode 59 of the Just Trek podcast. Welcome to the Just Trek Podcast, where elevation is our recreation. This is your host, Justin Just Rock Ramon, coming to you from Los Angeles. On this show, you will hear stories and adventures from inspirational hikers, explorers, weekend warriors, to even creatives in the LA community and beyond. Join the Just Trek crew on our journey to True North. We aim to inspire, motivate, and elevate you to a higher state of well-being. You can follow us on Instagram at just.trek. Facebook.com slash Just Trek Official and our website JustTrek.net. Just Trek Crew, what it do? This is your host, Just Rock. And we have arrived at another podcasting milestone as we have officially reached the three-year anniversary of the Just Trek podcast. Damn, that felt so good to say that. And it's also my birthday today. As you may remember, I launched the podcast back in March 31st, 2020. And now my birthday and the podcast are forever intertwined. If you want to give me a gift, I am most definitely taking birthday donations to help keep this podcast running. You can make a donation by going to our Instagram profile at just.trek and go to our bio link. You can also subscribe to us on patreon.com slash just trek and choose a monthly tier that you're comfortable with and get access to my exclusive podcast series entitled Trek Talks. To bring it back to the show, it has grown quite a lot since our inaugural year back in 2020. And a lot of the growth has especially happened from year two to year three in regards to recognition. The show has been featured by the Los Angeles Times, All Trails, Spotify, and Voyage LA to name a few. I am especially proud of being invited by the folks over at Spotify as a guest podcast creator in recognition of my work on the Just Trek podcast, and I got to attend their annual Stream On 2023 event that happened right here in downtown LA on their Spotify campus. Also, the overall platform has grown so much from the community event collaborations we've done with All Trails, Outdoor Adventure Plus, LA Skate Honeys, Sweat So Good, We Explore Earth, Life Hacks LA, Vegan Playground, Co Market, Tea at Shiloh, and many more. Still over the moon that we were All Trail's first ever community hike collaboration in the company's history. In celebration of reaching three years, I have a special episode for you. 
I'll be sharing another compilation of the best stories and moments that we've ever heard on the show from our previous guests. I present to you Best of Just Trek Mixed Trek Volume 2. On this adventure compilation, you will hear snippets from guests such as Robert Martinez, creator of Parliament of Vows, Casey Schreiner, creator of Modern Hiker, Carla Amador, founder of the 52 Hike Challenge, Jeff Hester, founder of SoCal Hiker Blog, and the Six Pack of Peaks Challenge, Jen Yanda, founder of LA Skate Honeys, Chris Hazard, creator of HikingGuy.com, Veronica Castro, founder of Sweat So Good, Victor Martinez, founder of LA Trail Killers, and Noah Klein, co-founder of Feels Like Floating. Wow, that was a mouthful, but that just means that this episode is absolutely action-packed with stories. So excited for you all to either relive these conversations or maybe hear them for the first time. And maybe you'll go back and listen to their entire episode if you like what you hear. Reaching three years is major, so I want to take a moment to acknowledge you, the community of listeners that have grown around the Just Trek podcast. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for taking the time out of your day to listen to the show, whether you have heard one episode, a few episodes, or maybe all of them. I truly appreciate it, and so do all the amazing guests that have shared their inspirational stories and outdoor adventures with us. That being said, let's get the trekking and get this episode started. The Just Trek podcast is recorded on Gabrielino Tongva land. The natives and indigenous people are not a thing of the past. They are present among us right here, right now. So let's keep educating ourselves and take the opportunity sometime to interact and learn from them. It's important to fill ourselves with more knowledge so we become better outdoor stewards in our journey alongside Mother Nature and in the public lands we explore. This story is from episode 53 guest, Robert Martinez, aka Parliament of Owls. Robert is a SoCal trekker, off-trail explorer, wildlife photographer and videographer, artist and residence of the Angeles National Forest, and is the creator of the YouTube channel, Parliament of Owls. Robert has captured several hundred videos of mountain lions, bears, foxes, coyotes, bobcats, ringtails, and more. His wildlife videos have been watched by millions all over the country, and you can even view his wildlife prints featured throughout the terminals of LAX Airport. Listen up to these two surprising wildlife encounters that he experienced in our local wilderness, that being the Angeles National Forest. And it was crazy um, after that mountain lion skunk video I got about a month ago. One of the only animals to really show like aggression toward me was a striped skunk. I was deep, <laughs> I was deep in this canyon years ago, <laughs> like in 2014. And I, I dropped off this little five foot rock, like a dried waterfall drop right there. And I look and there's a skunk. I'm like, oh my God. And it was feisty. I don't know if it was a female or a male, but I was like, holy shit, is it going to come towards me? It was like 20 feet away. But it had like it was really worked up, and I just kept kind of backing up slowly, and it, it moved a little closer. I'm like, "Holy shit!" So I just kept walking, I'm like, "Dang!" And this skunk wanted to make sure I left. He did not. He or she didn't want me nearby. Probably had babies nearby or something. But that skunk showed so much courage, and I was like, "Holy shit!" What I mean, I know the skunk can spray me, but what else can? It yeah. Do? When you say um, feisty, is it like making a particular noise, or is it no, jumping up and down, or what it, is it doing? It just kept moving, like you know, moving like a foot, and then still going back and moving again a little bit, and that's it. Uh, and just kind of just you know, with his tail up in the air, just look, looking really tense, like what, like what are you doing here? Kind of like what, who are you? And I was in a remote canyon where people never go, so this poor skunk probably has ninety nine percent of his life with nobody ever walking by like that. Sure, yeah. So yeah. that skunk was not happy, but that's one of the craziest encounters. And another encounter, I'll tell you one. 
It's happened two times, and I'm pretty sure I know what happened. There were large male bears. Uh, the first time was a male bear in that same canyon, different time though. Um, I, I noticed signs of a bear. I'm like, there's water on this rock that wasn't there before. A bear must have did that. Within minutes, I hear sticks breaking. I look up, there's a big bear. I'm like, holy shit. Get my phone out, record it for a few seconds, and I put my phone down and watch it. Not even mm -hmm. a minute, like 30 seconds maybe into it, the bear stomped its feet down and grunted at me. I was like, oh shit. I was like a hundred, a couple hundred feet away. It's about to get Still. real. <laughs> oh yeah. So I didn't know at that moment. I knew he wanted me to leave. But I didn't quite get why. Like, what's what's he thinking? Later on, I think he thought me just standing there and not leaving was like me almost challenging him. Like, what do you want some of this? Ah, like, I see. Even though like I'm not a bear, like he's probably like, what do you want? Like, 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 oh, like why are you here? Like, maybe this will make him leave. Maybe he was scared too. I don't know. But I'm the one who was like, holy shit! I know bears. They can outrun me. They have stamina that we don't have. They can, you know, traverse the terrain like no humans can ever do. So I just stood there going, holy shit, I'm going to back up now, put my phone back in my pocket. And I just kept walking. Didn't hear any more sounds at all. It made some like groaning sound like, like that. <laughs> I just kept walking on fuck. I don't hear any footprints or, you know, you know, foot, you know, feet moving. I'm like, I'm cool. But yeah, that bear told me like, you better get out. And it happened again, I think two years ago, I stumbled across a bear courtship. Uh, it's all on video. I'm walking in this canyon. I stop. I'm like, holy shit, it's a bear. Get my phone out. I look what I thought was a female was a female. The female sitting there with her back to me. She turns her head, looks at me. And then within seconds, a big male comes out from the side a no little bit way. closer. And you hear me go, oh, it's two bears. And this is the, one of the larger males that I see on my cameras. So I stumbled upon a courtship. The male looks at me. I just stood still recording. And okay, I have my whistle near, right next to me over my neck. And the female took off, and then the male just walked a little bit further ahead, and that was it. And, and then he went off to the side of the hill, and I stood there for like five minutes because I was just so like, I don't want to see him again. I couldn't help myself. And then he made a grunting sound at me too within five minutes, way up on the hill. He's like, Rrr. I was like, holy shit. He's like, like that. And I know that was probably to me, like, you better leave, dude. You're literally in the middle of my date right now. So... That just happened two years ago. Robert, you crazy. live the wildest life in the woods. That was so, I cherish those moments. I really dream do. about these moments. And thankfully in that moment, I mean, I'm not thinking, oh God, I'm going to die right now. I'm not. So thankfully, if, if that ever happens, I'll tell people, you know, hey, I was, I was scared today. This is not what I was expecting and try to explain why it might, may have happened. But thankfully, I can't say it enough. Thankfully, that's never happened, you know. They always want to go the other way. They just want to be left alone. Like I said, the, the scariest one has been a skunk so far. The skunk, you know, telling me to leave. But those you mentioned before though, a skunk yeah. scared away a mountain lion in one of yeah, your videos. Yeah, that was after the Wilford the bed incident. What? <laughs> that, that, that is so that, hilarious. So Wilford did that whole bed thing, I think, in July 6th. And then in the same like few weeks, that same exact camera spot, I had a mountain lion pass by one camera in the early part of the, of the canyon. And then 10 minutes after that, I think it's a female. She stops at the other camera. The camera turns on. You see these big lion eyes and a skunk coming from the back of the camera towards the mountain lion. Like not even stopping, like walking right up to it. You see the lion's eyes like looking at it the whole time. You see it kind of perk up a little bit and like, what's it doing? And when the um, skunk kind of like puts his tail up, the mountain lion goes to the side and just slowly walks away. It probably got like, sprayed before. It's like, oh, I know what that means. It's about to blast yeah, me. That's what everybody was saying. Like, maybe it's been sprayed before. Maybe the mom somehow just taught this, you know, about the young ones, watch out for these skunks. But the mountain lion did not want any kind of confrontation. And the reality is, if that lion would have took one swipe, it probably could have killed it in one swipe. It may have got sprayed. I don't know. I'm not sure how fast a skunk yeah. would spray. But the mountain lion definitely seemed, if you watch the video and look at it closely, the lion almost looks like 
holy shit, are you seriously going to get this close to me? Okay. And then decides, like, it's not worth it. And the lion just goes around and walks away. And the skunk does, like, there's a like, little thing in the, in the leaves like that. And the lion puts a kick in the step and, like, you know, goes faster and leaves. That and David then, and Goliath moment. Yeah. And then the skunk is either chasing the lion away, which is probably gone already, or it looks at my camera next and starts challenging my camera. It's, like, going up to my camera and backing up and going up to it again and backing up, like, the next minute or so. So, yeah, that was a really recent incident that happened to me. Those skunks, they, they definitely look feisty when they jump up and down. And uh, I've seen some of those videos. Yeah, I had another video about four or five years ago. of a, The video starts, all it is is a mountain lion and a, a possum in the video. And the possum is like hissing at the mountain lion. And the mountain lion's like, what the hell? And the mountain lion doesn't go after the possum. The possum keeps hissing, backing up, hissing, and then just disappears off into the, into the dark. So I think that was just a chance meeting. I don't think it was hunting possum. I think it was a chance meeting. And the mountain lion was like, mm-hmm. what the hell? And the possum was like, you know, hissing for its life, like, leave me alone. But it didn't show any fear. It just showed like, you know, get away from me kind of thing. These small animals have a lot of confidence, I noticed. Oh, they definitely do. This moment is from our episode 49 guest, Casey Schreiner. Casey is a SoCal trekker, environmental activist, LA Times bestselling author, and is the founder of the West Coast most read hiking blog, ModernHiker.com. He shares how his trail curiosity led him to becoming a native plant enthusiast and the joys that come along with his new passion for plants. So it is also from my understanding that you're quite the native plant enthusiast, as you've expressed earlier, and that you even have tattoos. Yes. Uh, So I, so, you know, for me, I talked a little bit about um, place attachment earlier. And for me as a hiker, um, Initially, it's usually history. It's the history of a place that draws me in and makes me want to learn more and care more about it. Um, Over the years, I started to pay more attention to the plant communities um, that I was hiking through. And again, that's a thing that's super easy to overlook. Um, You know, it's it's easy to not notice those types of things when you're hiking, especially if you're like if you're peak bagging or if you're like doing it for exercise, like and not to, you know, denigrate that type of hiking, if that's what you want to do, great. If it's get you outside, awesome. Um, but for me, I started to notice like, oh, there's a certain type of plant that like, I really like the smell of these plants. And I'm noticing after it rains, that smell is like really, really powerful. And like, it just like hits my soul for lack of a better term. And I wanted to know what these were and like, learn more about them. So obviously there's some, there's some like naturalist guides, which you can dig into. But for me, um, it was taking some classes at the Theodore Payne Foundation um, up in northern L.A. It's like the Sunland Tahunga area. Um, they've got a nursery up there. It's a native plant nursery. It's a nonprofit, one of the oldest native plant nurseries in California. Um, and they do uh, classes on how to garden with native plants. They will answer any questions about native plants. Um, at this time, I was living in a, in a bungalow courtyard. It was one of our many droughts. So like the roses all died and the landlady didn't really care what I did with the landscape. So I took some classes up at the Theodore Payne Foundation, bought a bunch of plants, put them in the ground. And again, same as hiking. I learned, I made tons of mistakes, um, but it was an immensely rewarding process for me to yes. see gardening with native plants. Not only now am I learning about these plants, but I'm also paying more attention to them when I'm on the, when I'm on the trail, um, using apps like iNaturalist to track what I see and learn about them, learn how to identify the difference between a hummingbird sage and a black sage, 
um, or a picture sage, like some of these things that you kind of learn just by doing them and getting input from other people. It taught me what plant communities were. It taught me that, oh, okay, if I've got this California sagebrush next to a California buckwheat, they're both going to be pretty happy. If I've got some other plant in here in the middle, they're going to start competing or one's not going to be working. And that comes from paying attention to how those plants grow on the side of the trail when you're hiking. Like when you see the way plants grow in nature, the idea with native gardening is to sort of like sort of try to copy that in your own garden. Mimic it. Yeah. Yeah. And the idea is not to put whatever plant you want on the ground and make it grow. Because in California, you can do that. With enough water, with enough fertilizer, you can make anything grow here. But to establish a native habitat and to grow that plant community into an ecosystem is a totally different goal. Uh... And it, to me, it's much more rewarding. It's much more interesting. And I will say... Um, in my little bungalow courtyard where I had really a sliver of land to play with a sliver. So not like I didn't have a yard. I didn't like, I was not like a, a, you know, a rich, a rich debutante out in, you know, West LA with like my acres and acres of green space. This was a sliver of land and some container stuff too. Um, I was able to get this stuff growing to a place where it looked really lush in the spring um, different plants aged and bloomed at different times of the year. So there was always something interesting going on. There was always a food wow. source for stuff. So there was tons of birds coming into the yard, way more wow. wildlife, lizards, spiders. Um, we had, I had one time I was gardening and I felt like a whoosh over my head as I was weeding. And there was a red tailed hawk sitting in a tree right next to me, like maybe five feet away uh, from me. Like that stuff did not happen when it was roses in there. Um, hummingbird, hummingbirds, like I had hummingbirds every day coming to my garden oh, and just no spending way. time out there. And it was just from providing them with the habitat and food that they want and that they're looking for. Uh, you brought the wildlife to you yeah. in your backyard. How What a good life hack. And it was honestly immensely rewarding. So that to me, I've got a number of tattoos uh, on me. I'm the last person in my immediate family to get tattooed. So I'm a, I'm a late bloomer on this. Uh, but I found a great tattoo artist uh, up in Los Feliz and um, she has given me tons of stuff. So I have native plants from different environments that mean something to me or different plants that mean something to me. Um, the first one I got was a California sagebrush um, because okay. that is, um, it's a foundational plant for Southern California. It grows like a weed. It's everywhere but it's easily overlooked. It's a really important plant that's really easy to overlook. Um, And it was one of the first plants that I got to grow in the garden without killing it. So uh, I wanted to pay some respect to that. Um, Later on, later on, I got, um, what else do I have? I have uh, uh, an Ocotillo branch um, coming from my time down in the Anza Borrego Desert State Park. Um, Ocotillos are super fascinating plants. They're the ones that kind of look like octopuses. They grow super spindly. Um, and they have like these bright red flowers on them after it rains. Um, they're really weird because like, unlike most desert plants, most desert plants, when it rains, they hang on to it. You think of like a cactus, uh, or like something that's like a tuber, they bury their stuff underground. They really hold on to it. Ocotillo, when it rains, they just go nuts. They put out tons of growth. They put out their blooms. They like throw everything they have at this very short window of rain. And then they basically hibernate. Like they go into this like near death state where they're still technically alive, but everything or everything on the outside is pretty much dead. So that to me was like a super fascinating story for a plant. 
Um, so the last couple plants I've gotten were, um, I have three sage leaves. I have a black sage, a white sage, and a hummingbird sage leaves. Um, those are my three favorite sages from Southern California. Um, I've got a Toyon leaf. Um, Toyon is the official plant of the city of Los Angeles. Um, it grows all Toyin. over the place. It grows all over the place. Um, it's the one with the bright red berries in winter. Um, and by mm. some accounts, that's how Hollywood got its name because uh, they called it California Holly as well. Um, also, a really easy plant to grow. Uh, lots of habitat. Grows a great shrub. Um, and then I've got some Pacific Northwest stuff that I'm growing uh, on my other arm. So I've got uh, a Western Sword Fern, okay. uh, a Salal, and an Oregon Grape Leaf. And uh, I'm not done obviously with this stuff, but I need to figure out like what plants mean something to me and like how I want them represented. But I, to me, plants are like each plant tells me the story of a place that I either spent time in or cared deeply about. And hopefully that plant also teaches me a lesson on how important it is, how it grows, how it reacts to things or how resilient it is. This story is from episode 54 guest, Veronica Castro. She has an LA-based trekker, outdoor adventure, community builder, wellness advocate, and is the founder of the beloved hiking group Sweat So Good. Veronica shares the highs and lows from her epic experience of summiting Mount Whitney, which is the tallest mountain in the continental U.S. at 14,504 feet, and she did it with an amazing group of women. Okay, so now I want to jump out of SoCal in the Santa Monica Mountains, and we're going to head up north to the Eastern Sierras because I want to acknowledge something and a pretty amazing outdoor accomplishment that you did um, a few months back. And that was you summited the goddamn thing, Mount Whitney, yeah. the tallest mountain <laughs> in the continental United States. It stands at 14,504 feet. It is an absolute bucket list achievement for any hiker, backpacker, peak bagger. And you did it. And you did it as a backpacking um, yeah, experience, right? Yes. So yeah. I don't want you to recap the whole day, but I just want to give you your flowers in regards to accomplishing that. Because Thank for you. people not familiar, whether you do it as a day hike, which is 22 miles or backpacking, it's still like extremely challenging because of the yes. high altitude. It stands at 14,504 feet. So that means that everybody... Um, is tackling what we call AMS or acute mountain sickness or elevation sickness. And that shit is real when oh you're on God, a 13er yes. or a 14er. So what I want to ask you about, you know, your Mount Whitney journey and adventure is um, if you could mention one high and low from the Mount Whitney experience, and we'll just go about it like that. Otherwise, if we talk about Mount Whitney, it will be its own we'll podcast forever. episode. <laughs> I know. Um, so my high from that was, the trip in itself was with a group of women. Mm. So and these were, these were women that I didn't really know that well. Cause the only reason I got into this was because I followed someone on Instagram who Mount Whitney and I don't know who she was, but I was like, I want to do Mount Whitney. So I responded. I'm like, Oh, I'm down. And so um, she was like, okay, if you have another friend and you want to invite her, you can, because you know, we have another spot. Mm -hmm. And I instantly thought about Imelda and I'm just like, girl, are you down to do Mount Whitney with me? And she was like, hell yeah, I'm down. <laughs> The dynamic She's duo so for it. I love her <laughs> so much. And so it was her and I, and then we met the fourth girl actually at um, Lone Pine. We met her there for the first time ever. And although we had, we, we rarely knew each other, we all connected so well and we bonded so well. And um, 
you know, the support that we gave each other on our way up there was what I really loved, especially coming from strangers. It was the best. Mm. And um, so that was that was my high was sharing that experience with them because I literally could not have pictured doing that with any anyone else. They were such an amazing support system. They made it fun. And, you know, they made it fun even during those lows because... <laughs> Honestly, I had a couple lows when I was there. Um, I I definitely got um, what do you call it? Um, Acute altitude. mountain sickness, yes, altitude yes. sickness. Mm-hmm. So I experienced that. Funny enough, on my way down, like after my summit, I was feeling horrible. I I was having such a good time that I finally summited, and I was just like so. I was like sad. I'm like, fuck, I need to make it back down now. Like, shit. Like, I was That's the crazy thing trouble. about Mount Whitney. When you summit, you're you're so full of elation and joy. And you're like, shit, I got to go all yeah. the way back down. I was like, God damn it. I was like, no. <laughs> so I was, I was, my, my head was like throbbing and I was really cold. And there was moments where I would like stop and I was like my friends didn't realize, but I was like crying because I'm like, oh, like, I don't know if I can do this. Like, so I would stop and I would sit. And then one of my friends, Stephanie, would sit behind and she'd like make sure I was okay. Um, Imelda was like, fuck, I'm just trying to go down. She just, was just going and going, which Everyone's was fine. But yeah, because at that point, everyone is over it. Everyone wants to get, we were trying to get back to our, our camp. Where was your camp, by the way, out of curiosity? Do you remember? Uh, it was trail camp, which is right before the the what do you call it the switchbacks okay trail crap got it yeah so we were there which is so beautiful that hike in itself is beautiful like i didn't know there was gonna be all these lakes and creeks and i was just like wow this is like a whole new world (laughs) i gotta ask you when you got up the 99 switchbacks right and you saw the sites the initial sites of trail crest what did you think it was i didn't realize there was so many lakes i was just like holy shit like God damn, like we're really, we literally just did that. Wow. (laughs) Because my, my thing in order to help myself get through those switchbacks, I wasn't looking up at all. I was just looking down, looking down, looking down, looking down. And I did not want to look up because if I look (laughs) up, I'm just like, fuck, I'm never going to get there. Demoralizing. Yes. But what I really love, my favorite sites was when you see the opposite side, when you get to the top of the switchback and you see all the other lakes on the other side, that was beautiful. I was just like, man. So yeah, that's the jaw dropping view, in my opinion, when oh you get to the top yes. of the switchbacks, you see the trail crest sign, you're like, holy shit, where did all these glacier lakes come from? Like, this is a whole nother side of the mountain. Amazing. But then it's like, oh, God, this is the longest 1.9 miles of my life. <laughs> oh, my summit. God. Yes. So we were also happy when we saw 1.9. We're like, oh, my God. Fuck yeah, we're almost there. It's no. Super easy. Hell no. Hell I felt no. like such a snail. <laughs> and I felt like I was in a twilight zone where it just kept on going like longer and longer. <sighs> and I'm just like, this is such a mind fuck. It was such a mind fuck, honestly. So <laughs> yeah. But all in all, it was an amazing experience with these girls. They made it so fun. And not to mention the weekend before. So we did this on Monday. That weekend we stayed in Lone Pine at the Whitney Hotel. Okay. And there was there was a um, a town reunion. <laughs> there was, there a, was town a town reunion? reunion there because their high school, wow. their little cute high school had just turned 100 years old. So there was a town reunion and they had like a little 
get together with like a live band in the saloon and we were there like partying it up with the locals the weekend <laughs> and so that was a lot of fun that was a great way to bond too that's dope hell yeah what yeah, a so perfect awesome. timing literally yes so it was a great experience i love those girls shout out stephanie rebecca and Imelda. <laughs> yeah when i saw you stand up top that mountain with the mount whitney uh, laser plaque. I'm so jealous of everyone that holds that plaque up because it's I knew, right? Yeah, I think they put it up there like a year and a half ago, two years. It's so beautiful. It's like laser engraved. The one it's that heavy. I had was some rinky dink cardboard oh. piece of crap. I'm now I'm just hating, but I'm very grateful oh. for the day, obviously. But uh, yeah, when I saw that photo and you were the girls, I was like, she did that. I know. It was so dope. I was so happy. I was definitely. I had a great sense of satisfaction, sense of, yeah, we're some badasses. <laughs> so it was a lot of fun. You know, my favorite thing is when you do something so like epic and challenging, like summoning a peak such as a Mount Whitney or a 14er, is when you roll back into town and you like go into like the <laughs> hotel or the grocery store or a gas station and like, y'all don't know what I just did. I know. <laughs> y'all have no clue what I just went through, what I just survived. What I just bagged, like, y'all have no clue, but I'm a badass right now. Yeah. Give me my water and Pepsi. <laughs> Seriously. But you know what? Although I didn't feel that way in Lone Pine, just because I know Lone Pine is filled with, like, PCT hikers. So I'm like, y'all doing more than just Whitney. Mm. So but I definitely felt that way when I was back in L.A. I was like, yeah, y'all can't touch me. I need to do Whitney. <laughs> Y'all, y'all can't touch this. Da, na, 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 da, na. <laughs> this story is from episode 56 guest, Jeff Hester. Jeff is the SoCal hiker, outdoor adventurer, peak bagger, backpacker, co-host of the Almost There Adventure podcast, founder of SoCal Hiker blog, and is the chief adventure officer of the Six Pack of Peaks Challenge. Jeff shares his unique experience of completing the John Muir Trail twice, 30 years apart. So speaking of challenges, I want to talk about a challenge that you redid all over again. So I want to go back in time with you, Jeff, specifically 12 years ago, back in 2010, mm. and highlight an incredible accomplishment that you did mention at the top of this podcast of yours. And that was being able to complete the JMT, aka the John Muir Trail for your second time. And I know we've been talking about the JMT a bunch on this podcast, but for those of you not familiar, it is the 211 miles world famous through hiking trail that stretches from Yosemite Valley to Mount Whitney, which is the tallest mountain in the continental U.S. In other words, it is an insanely epic route and is one of the must do experiences for any backpacker, especially in California. So, Jeff, just like reflecting back, how was it like to complete the JMT for your second time? 30 years later from your first time when you were 18 years old? Harder? <laughs> um, well, yeah. So actually, the first time I did it when I was 18, uh, the group that I hiked with, there were we started out with five. We ended up with four. One person ended up getting ill and getting off the trail halfway. But uh, we spent 25 days on the trail to complete the John Muir trail. The second time we spent 22 days. So actually did it faster, but that was really only a function of my work schedule and the time off work. I had never 
ever taken three consecutive weeks of vacation time in my life. So it was the very first time I'd ever done that. I was kind of nervous about that. And, uh, and so we really had to, you know, push to kind of hold to that schedule. Um, it was definitely harder in this, in, in many ways. Uh, you know, when I was 18, when I first did it, um, I was much leaner than I am now. I'm a big, you know, big guy. So, um, you're a big mountain guy. I'm a big mountain guy. Yeah. That's, which is great. You know, I've, I've got a lot of durability, you know, I don't, my body doesn't break down when I'm out there carrying a heavy load and that sort of thing. That's, that's really helpful, but it also means the climbing and everything is, is a little bit harder. And, uh, that certainly than when I was 18, sort of sure. probably the peak of my, uh, fitness at 18. It, um, the experience itself has changed, changed quite a bit. Um, back in 2010, when I did it the first time, no, I'm sorry. 1980 when I did it the first time. Um, oh my goodness, 1980 and then 2010. Yes. Wow, what a gap. I know. 1980, imagine. So like all your listeners are going, I wasn't even born. You know, come on. <laughs> I wasn't born either. <laughs> so yeah, back then, uh, resupplies were not as easy. You know, today you can get, uh, you can mail what we did in 2010 was we mailed our resupply packages. We had, we picked up a package at Tuolumne Meadows. We picked up a package at Red's Meadow. We picked up a package at um, VVR. We picked up a, a nut, our final package at Muir Trail Ranch. So, you know, we made full use of all of the easy to access resupply points. And we were able to mail that all in advance. In 19. 19- 80, we weren't able to do any of that. So we had to coordinate with friends who would meet us on a specified date and location and hope that they actually showed up. And Damn, that's wild. Yeah, yeah. So it was a whole different thing, you know, like that's, and there's no, of course, you know, like there's no cell phones, there's no satellite communicators, no Garmin inReach or any of that. So it's just like, you really are, off off the grid completely and you know you just hope it all works out it uh, it did it all worked out there was i think our final resupply in 1980 we had a couple college kids who were meeting us and we were there for like a cup at the meet point for like a couple hours and they hadn't shown up yet and so we were starting to get a little nervous because we we didn't have enough food to last us for the the last four or five days. And, uh, finally they show up and it's, you know, the sun is getting dark and we're like, Oh, thank goodness. So we got our food and it was all good. But like when we came out at the other end, um, we didn't have, we actually, uh, exited the trail one day early. And so we had people who were planning to pick us up the next day and we didn't want to just camp at the on the road or whatever. So we ended up hitchhiking into town where we could then use a pay phone to call, you know, it's like a whole different, it's hard to imagine. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It, it probably didn't have push buttons, you know, it's probably a rotary phone. Finger or in the hole rotated, finger in the hole rotated. Yeah. Oh my goodness. That's oh, so yeah. funny. Uh, but you know, other than that, you know, like the experience itself, it was really, really fun. 
And it was great. You know, I had my girlfriend with me and we had two other guys, young guys who had joined our, our party, but it was so much fun to know like what was up ahead. It, you know, it just comes right back to you. It's like, I was here and I'm back. And so, you know, I'd be, oh, this is going to be great. You're going to love this. You know, and we'd, we'd come over <laughs> a pass and come down like, isn't this amazing? And yeah, this is amazing. It's like such a great experience to go back and revisit everything. I'll probably do this again someday if I can. What was that emotion like when you finished that second time, like at the very end? Oh my gosh. So much, uh, such a great sense of accomplishment. So we, at the, at the end in 2010, we, uh, we woke, we slept, we camped at Guitar Lake on the West side of Whitney uh, the night before we summited and we got up at like one at 12 AM or 1 AM in the morning and put our headlamp broke camp, put our headlamps on started up towards trail crest by headlamps, which is by the way, an awesome way to do that because all you see is the trail right in front of you. You know, like you're watching where you step so you don't, you know, fall or go off trail and we're just kind of like marching along, you know, methodically. And all of a sudden, I almost ran into the trail sign at Trail Crest. I, I'm looking down oh, no. and I almost walk into it. And I'm like, oh my gosh, we're, we're at Trail Crest, which is, you're kind of, you kind of feel like you're there at that point, you know? Um, you still have, I don't know, I'm not sure how far that is, like a mile and a half or something like that, two miles maybe. The longest 1.9 miles. 1.9 miles. Summit. <clears throat> But it's not, you know, like the, the big climb is kind of done, you know, at that point. And, uh, and so uh, we did the summit, you know, we were up there, we, we saw the sunrise coming through the windows as we were headed up that way. And that was amazing. Oh, wow. That's magical. Uh, hung out there as long as we wanted. And, and then basically, like, well, let's, let's head down. So we start making our way down, you know, through the 99 switchbacks and, Eventually you see the Whitney portal parking area, you know, and the cars down there and you think, Oh, she's, and, and we're, we're tired at this point, you know, cause we got up at 1am, you know, like we climbed up, mm-hmm. we're headed down, we're tired, we're carrying our packs. We've been doing this for three weeks now. And uh, my girlfriend's like, Oh, how much longer do you think it'll be? And I'm like, Oh, probably 30 minutes. It's like, no, no, not even close. It was like an hour and a half. So you see those cars down there at Whitney Portal. And, <laughs> and you keep on hiking down these switchbacks. And you're thinking, they're not getting any closer. What's wrong with this? <clears throat> Am I some, in some kind of strange space-time warp thing, you know, or whatever? But uh, we finally made it down to Whitney Portal. The Portal store and the restaurant was still open. We were able to get a cheeseburger and a beer and sat out on the patio. And it was just like, ah, oh, this is such a great feeling. It was, uh, it's amazing. It's a great accomplishment for anybody who does, if you do just Whitney, just to be able to do that. But if you're doing the John Muir trail and coming southbound, like we did, um, nothing better than to end it with that cold beverage and a greasy cheeseburger at the portal store. Yeah. That is the grand reward because the portions there are absolutely massive from the fries to the actual burger bun in the patty. Yeah, I got to experience that as well, obviously, but it was just as a day hike. Mm -hmm. But I could only imagine, you know, when you saw that 
that large portions of the food you're like i'm about to stuff my face in the, the, probably pass out right after this the, the first time i did the jmt in 1980 i had um you know like i had a little spiral brown notebook and i would you know write little notes and trail notes and scribbles in there and at some point i think about halfway into the trip i started writing down all the food that i was going to eat when I got back to civilization, <laughs> you know, things that you can't have, like just ice cream or cantaloupe or, you know, weird, you know, steak, you know, things that aren't dehydrated and dry and crusty. You know, it's, uh, it was, uh, I had a long list of meals planned already by the time I got out. Was there one at the, what was the one at the top of the list? Hmm. Uh, I think probably, I think it was this, like the steak with a baked potato with lots of butter and sour cream and, you know, just like the whole disgusting mess of food, you know, and, uh, necessary mess that your body needed. Exactly. Yeah. It's like my body was craving all of that stuff. There was, there was one point on one of the, uh, I was so hungry. I'm like eating, we, you know, you, you ration out your food, you have your meals all planned. And if you get to the end of your food for that day, you know, you, that's it. That's all you have. So, you, you know, you just, you, you're going to be hungry maybe. And that's normal. Like mm-hmm. you're running a caloric deficit from day to day. And that's pretty normal. At that time when I, I didn't have as much reserves on my body. So um, at one point we were up above 10,000 feet, I think, camping. And I'm like, I'm so hungry. I got to, I got to do something. So I went like a mile and a half downhill back down the trail to an area where the sugar pines were still growing and harvested a bunch of sugar pine needles, which you can make tea out of. And you can also just chew on. They're not good. (laughs) Okay. I was like waiting for you to be like, it was status, (laughs) but it was like, I was desperate, you know, it's like, I I need something, you know, and uh, that's what I did. I, added another three miles of hiking for the day just to harvest some sugar pine needles and munch on those. Yeah. Your taste buds were craving for diversity. Yeah. Yeah. And calories probably and fat and everything else. For sure. For sure. Uh, I want to ask you just so, you know, the JMT is 211 miles. There's so many sections, so many like crown jewels during that hike. Is there a particular section that just, always like truly just captivates you and my and mind blowing to you. I love the area below the minarets. I think that's a really special. Um, so if you go from mammoth, you can head over the, I forget the name of the pass, but you head down towards like reds meadow and that area from there. There's a couple different trails, the Pacific crest trail and the JMT, the John Muir trail actually split through there the pct goes a little bit further east and there's something called the high route that kind of goes along that side of the that canyon and the jmt goes up past you know shadow lake garnet lake thousand island lake that whole area with banner and ritter peak as the backdrop and there's just such an epic craggy peaks with these beautiful lakes crystal blue water crystal clear uh, dotted with all kinds of islands and, tr- you know, the, the areas surrounded with pine forest. And it's just an amazing, amazing space. It's a place that I'll, I've gone many times for shorter trips. And it's a place that I'll keep returning to whenever every chance I get. 
All right, duly noted. So the area below uh, minarets, minarets below the minarets. So like you know, Thousand Island Lake, Garnet, Garnet Lake. There's Ruby Lake. There's a whole bunch of gem named lakes up there. Uh, Adiza Lake, um, and there's trails that kind of connect between them. So you can spend a night at a lake, then the next day hike to the next lake, or, or two lakes over if you want. And uh, there's all kinds of day hiking, sort of off trail experiences you can have you know if you want to go bag a peak you can do that if you want to go just explore a little bit or fish you can do that it's a it's a really pretty area god i'm just getting so much inspiration from this episode right now jeff (laughs) good so captivated by your stories (laughs) this story is from episode 47 guest jen yanda she is an la-based trekker rollerblader and skater wellness advocate, community organizer, and is the founder of the Ellie Skate Honeys. This roller trek queen shares her love for hosting skating and hiking events for her massive community and also goes on to share her perspective on full moon hikes. Uh, something dope I noticed is that you now also host hike and skate events. Yeah, And you incorporated the full moon. Like, can you just talk about that briefly? How that kind of all transpired? You know, obviously you have this passion also for hiking and exploring. So, you know, I'm not too surprised, I guess I could say. Yes. Sorry. I think a bird pooped on me. Isn't that? Oh, damn. <laughs> so just... Are you okay? Are you good? I'm good. I just try to roll with it now. It actually happened to me twice this week. That's a story for another crazy day. It actually happened and you just kept carrying on. I like to think that they're like talking to me, the birds. I don't know. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Um, hiking and skating has come together as one event, I think just really organically because I love those things. And the people that have been coming to my events also, you know, they love skating and hiking, a lot of them. So it just people, you know, they would, they would see that I go out on hikes and they'd say like, bring me or like, you should host a hiking meetup. And I was like, okay. (laughs) Um, and then, so the full moon was incorporated kind of less so to do with wellness, but as I've become more spiritual, I've really like leaned into that part. Um, I really enjoy night hikes under the full moon because it's just so incredible. It's such a different experience than you're used to because it's not like daylight hiking and it's not like night hiking. Full moon lit night hikes are just like such a trip to be honest, because like your visibility is almost as good as it is during the day. It's as if Mm -hmm. everything is illuminated by a streetlight that's only like 10 feet above. Um, And it's just so cool because you can see everything better. You can like look out over the uh, like valley and see like very clearly all the mountain peaks and things like that. So Mm -hmm. um, it actually started, I started doing full moon hikes almost like a year ago now. And I try to do them almost every month. It doesn't always work because um, sometimes the full moon's on a funky day for me. Uh, but I just, I love being out of that time and the energy is so high and um, it's just like so fun to play with also the shadows that you get from the the full moon. Yeah. Like it's a really good opportunity for photography. So I just started taking uh, a couple of my friends and my roommates. I would take them up to um, Eagle Rock. It's like this, it's this high point in the Topanga mountains um, where Correct, it's yeah. it's kind of this like rock that juts out over the valley 
and you get a really nice view. You can see the ocean from there, and it's a great place to watch the moon rise. So I started bringing my roommates and my friends there on full moon hikes, and and then I was like, hell, I should just do a community event, and I did one last September, and I remember pulling up and being like, I don't think anyone's going to come. Like, they only like to skate, <laughs> you know? And then I, I was late. That's one of my things I can't believe we have not touched on yet as I am a late person. So I'm rolling up to this meetup a little late as usual. <laughs> and I pull up and there's like 25 people there for my, for my first hike. And I was so honored and like so just like so flattered that everybody was like down to share the experience and it was such it was such a cool time we were at los leones los leones is a really good night uh full moon hike because um you could you get a really good view of like the city and the ocean and the full moon from um los leones even if you don't go all the way to the overlook you can still get a pretty good view so um once i did that one i was like that was such a success so i'm still doing them and people really like it um yeah, we're going to collab with the We Tribe this month at the Helipad spot, and it's going to be a really cool evening of skating and hiking. And um, I just love like bringing people into that space because I think like how we were talking about before, uh, some people in the skate community they don't get a lot of opportunities to go out in nature. And so it, it's had a really profound effect on a lot of my community members where they come to me and they mm -hmm. say, thank you so much. I needed this. And I just want to tell them like to go to every hike event and to hit up just trek and to do it all the time. Because I think like sometimes uh, when people lean into their hobbies that don't take them out into nature, sometimes they forget about that side of themselves. But I think we all hold that yes. in ourselves. We all need it. And so I love like um, kind of grabbing people on the edge and being like, come and do this thing that I really love because you're going to love it too. I swear. <laughs> yeah. And I think the beautiful thing about what you're doing is you're providing another activity and outlet for people. You know, I always tell people like, it's great to have like this one physical activity or passion, but I think it's even more powerful when you have several tools, mm -hmm. you know, you can do rollerblading and roller skating, but then you can also do hiking. You can do trail running. Mm -hmm. You can do mountain biking. I think, in my opinion, it's really important to have like two to three activities to really like balance yourself out because maybe each one serves a different fulfillment or purpose for yourself, mm -hmm, you know? Absolutely. So, because sometimes I feel like when you just do one thing and that's the end all be all, it's amazing. But when you're not doing that, you can fall into like, you know, you feel sad yeah, what or if depressed, you, can't? you don't feel like yourself. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So maybe it's good to have several tools that you can hopefully develop. But, you know, obviously, you know, for myself, hiking is my core now. It used to be dancing, but now I'm into biking and now I'm like getting back into rollerblading because of you. Oh, like, yeah, just Justin. having these different facets and tools is so like powerful to like just enjoying life more memorably, you know? I agree. And that kind of brings me to a, a newer idea that I've had. Um, I think after I came to your hike, um, I was like, wow, that was so cool to uh, kind of step out of my community and into a new one and also have Elle there, my friend, like, because I, I was like, okay, like, it's a bridging of my worlds. It's so beautiful. Yes. Um, and I, after, she was cool. Yeah, she's great. And after, after that, I was like, uh, and actually, our friend Scooby was there, too. Um, it was cool. We had like a couple skaters there. And he nice, was so nice. he was so grateful to meet you guys, and he's been talking about going to another one again. And 
um, having that experience with you guys made me think about um, like providing more opportunities for my community to go out and discover their communities, their tribes with other with other groups, right? So it's like mm-hmm. I want people to come and skate with me all the time, but I understand that they need more than that. Like you said, they need uh, a biking tribe, they need a hiking tribe, they need a surfing tribe, they need all these things. Yes. And, and I can't host an event every day. <laughs> I would if it was my job, but it's not yet. Um, and also, there you go. manifest it. Manifest uh, I know, it. That's what I'm doing. You hear me? You hear me, world? <laughs> I would hear, I'm hearing, I'm sure your neighbor hears you too. <laughs> <I know. laughs> um, but yeah, so like I want to start hosting more collaborative experiences where my community gets the opportunity to mix with your community and other hiking group communities and biking mm-hmm. communities. And um, I have another collaborative event coming up at the end of the month with a longboard crew as well. Oh, and sick. I've been in contact with um, like a one wheel crew. And I'm just like trying to think of all of these kind of like um, parallel communities. And I'm just like, I want to get into all of them. <laughs> like I want to like try to kind of have like the honeys go on tour with all these other communities and and make these connections and discover new passions for ourselves because like like you said it's so important to be more multifaceted and really like dive into new areas because you can't put all of your eggs in one basket and you need to prepare for if at one point like maybe god forbid like you can't skate anymore you can't dance anymore what are you gonna do after that you know like it's important to meet people that shared like all different kinds of hobbies with you. This episode is sponsored by Highlander Adventure. Highlander is the leading long distance hiking event series in the world with over 40 events and 20 countries worldwide. Highlander creates once in a lifetime experiences for all nature lovers, explorers, and modern nomads around the world who are ready to get out of their comfort zone and prep for a multi-day stay out in Mother Nature. Highlander will be hosting their next event right here in Southern California's Alpine Paradise, known as Big Bear Lake, from May 24th through the 28th. There will be four different formats that range from a two-day journey that is 15 miles, a three-day journey that is 30 miles, a five-day journey that is 60 miles, and if you are a hardcore adventure seeker, they even have a five-day journey that is 100 miles. The incredible thing about this event is that Highlander will provide you with all the logistical support. You do not need to worry about maps, camping spots, food rations, water, permits, participant insurance, and so forth. They even have medical and search and rescue personnel on standby. In other words, they do a lot of the heavy lifting for you, and all you need is an adventurous spirit and to show up. I even got to personally meet the Highlander CEO along with other team members, and I greatly enjoyed their energy and their willingness to connect and support with the local outdoor groups here in Southern California. That being said, Just Trek has our very own promo code to help you out. Use Just Trek 30, that is J-U-S-T-T-R-E-K-30, for 30% off any Big Bear format on HighlanderAdventure.com and start that journey of a lifetime. This episode is supported by our good friends over at the 52 Hike Challenge. The 52 Hike Challenge is a global hiking movement where participants gain the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual benefits from hiking once a week for an entire year. 
This life-changing challenge has impacted over 50,000 plus participants from all around the world. What I love about this challenge is that it is about the consistency of spending time in nature, whether you are on the mountain trails, local parks, along the beach, or even an urban trek. As long as you're getting outside each week, that's all that truly matters. I even had the most special conversation with Carla Amador, founder of the 52 Hike Challenge on the Just Trek podcast, and have personally seen the direct impact of her platform on a lot of my previous podcast guests. Time and time again, each guest would bring up that it was the 52 Hike Challenge that sparked their outdoor transformation. It is a challenge birthed from a most beautiful soul in Carla Amador, and I highly encourage you to head over to the52hikechallenge.com to check them out more and consider registering as they have a massive community behind this movement. There's a whole world out there ready to be explored by you, one step and one hike at a time. Get that journey started and visit 52hikechallenge.com. This story is from episode 55 guest, Victor Martinez, founder of LA Trail Killers. He is a solo world traveler, mindfulness advocate, avid hiker, Highlander Adventure team member, and is one of the best storytellers we've ever had on the show. Listen up to his intense and nail-biting adventure of conquering Cotopaxi, one of the most active and highest volcanoes in the world, standing at 19,347 feet in central Ecuador. In this section, he describes his final push for the peak. You're suffering along. You're mm -hmm. in mile four. You're you're going at that pace that you were just describing, and then you eventually push for the peak, and you arrive at Cotopaxi Summit by somehow God's plan or whatever, right? You made mm -hmm. it. Like, what was going through your mind, and how did you feel physically and mentally when you realized that you're on top of this, one of the world's tallest active volcanoes? Well, I could describe that last push because I remember that last push began when the sun started to come out. So uh, we started at 12.30 uh, by uh, hour 5, 5.30ish. That's when you started to see some light. And that's when I said, I need this. This is, that motivated me, like just to see the light, knowing that I wasn't in the darkness anymore or even in the whiteout anymore. Uh, I started to see, you know, the, the, the sun, you know, peek its head. And, and that's, when, <laughs> that's when I sat down. And my guide said, look, you just need to get over that. So I look over to, the, to my right, and there's this big, huge wall of ice. And he said, this is the hard part. Oh, my I'm God. I'm thinking, yeah. No! Yeah. <laughs> You're like, said, at the very end. He said, this is the part. This is the hard part. This is where people turn back. Sure enough. So throughout the day, I didn't get to see uh, many of them, only two or, or, or four of them. Um, but this whole day the, um, that I did, that I attempted the summit, 12 people attempted the summit and only two of us made it. So 10 people turned back exactly at that point. That was the point of return for some people. Um, for me, I looked over to the right and I said, God damn, I'm not going to make it either. It, it, it took him picking me up and this was an ice me. climb this was an ice climb yeah I'll, I'll describe it to you he picked me up 
And then he started showing me how to do it. Sticking my crampons into the side of the mountain, using my ice axe to pull myself up. And he gave me a, this is the only training I've ever had on ice climbing. Oh my on the spot, God. on the side of Cotopaxi. And that's how I, that's how I got my, uh, my training in, on the, uh, <laughs> hands on. <laughs> so we're, we're climbing at maybe, I would say, 10 to 15 degree angle. It's somewhere around there, up the side of the mountain, where any mistake, any loose, you know, ice, any mistake on my end, a rookie and tired, you know, sleepy ass dude is going to get us killed. So this hard part was definitely the hard part. What I had just gone through was cake compared to this part. It was really a nice climb for about maybe 30, 30, 40 minutes, somewhere around there. Yeah. If anyone's ever seen ice climbing, it is one of the most wildest things I've ever seen in my life. Like, and that mm -hmm. had to be the last, like, that was like the final level of the video game to get to yeah. the top of Cotopaxi Summit at ice yeah. climb. Mm -hmm. That was like fighting the final boss, uh, that ice climb. And it felt that way, but it was life or death. So it was not, you know, you lose and you start over. <laughs> so I was really, really focused at that point. All my senses were, mm -hmm. were heightened at that point. Fuck sleepiness, hunger, mm -hmm. everything that I had. I was putting it all in my back pocket because at that point, if I make a mistake, we're done. So I, I felt like a pro while I was going through wow. it. because I was, I, was, I was getting through it. And, and I was following along with uh, my guide's pace. And eventually we get to the, the, the crest where it starts to, you know, level out just a bit and you start to see the, the, that you might be getting to the peak and, he, and then he tells you we're almost there. I, I, I told him, hold on. I sat down. I said, I want to get there alive. I don't want to get there dead. So <laughs> I took about 10 minutes just reflecting on what I had just gone through and catching my breath and catching Ooh. a picture and everything just to remember that moment of survival because it, did, it didn't quite feel like an achievement, to be honest. It felt more like I survived it. Once I actually mm -hmm. started to get, you know, my feet up and, and, and um, start to make it over there, it, it was emotional for me because I felt like it wasn't more so I'm, I'm, I'm proud of myself. It was more so mm -hmm. like I, I just... I just cheated death is what it, it was what it really felt like. I will tell you this though, like when you did that ice climb, you were built for that moment. Everything you've been through in life, you just locked in like you never did before. And you're like, this is it. There's no room yeah. for mistakes. There's no room for error. This is, mm -mm. This, is this is it right here. So <laughs> do or die, literally. Yeah. Do or die. That's what it was. It was, there's no other way to describe that moment of doing that ice climb because uh, especially when it's your first time, you know, like I, I've wow, done, man. you know, wow. rock climbing here and there, but I'm not in that whole community where I do it all the time. And mm -hmm. I'm, you know, I, I wish I would, uh, I probably would have been better trained, but regardless of the training or not, once you're in a position like that, you're, 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 you're just running on impulses, you know, just whatever training mm -hmm. you can have is thrown out the door it becomes survival instincts so that's what i think got me through it just my 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 will to live i guess <laughs> is what got me through that
<laughs> we got a future ice climber here on the yeah. IG Live. There you go. Insane. All right. So after you took some time to reflect over that, like, you know, that emotional feeling of surviving that ice climb, right? Yeah. You get to the summit. You're on top of Cotopaxi. How are you feeling physically and mentally? Talk me through that. Uh, so like I told you, I took an extra prolonged break just to get there. And it was truly what I needed because when I got to the top, um, I felt like my spirit was on cloud nine, literally. There's just above all the clouds. Um, it, it, it did feel a little, you know, like a bummer to not be able to see the crater, which was going to be the prize of making it to the top. You know, the crater um, is an insane visual you know as a as a hiker you want to get that prize of the view and you know the landscape whatever but um you know here and there it would clear up a bit and i was seeing bits uh and pieces of it and and, and just um it, it felt like i almost got a slap in the face for that but <laughs> overall just uh uh feelings it, it just felt like i'm so happy to be here uh but where's my beer that was sure. another bummer. That was another bummer. The fact that I didn't pack a beer, I uh, didn't have any s celebration really more than just being up there because yeah. my style is I have a beer and I have some chips, you know, some hot Cheetos, some hot fries, mm -hmm. something. Uh, I'm taking pictures, you know, I'm doing all that up there. I was taking pictures, but I was suffering through it because <laughs> it was cold. It was windy. I couldn't even talk because I was so tired and I really just wanted to get the hell off of it. So that was, Damn. that was my feeling physically. Yeah. Bummer. You weren't able to see the views up there, but that just goes to show how intense that, that storm was that happened at the same time you were climbing up to the mm -hmm. summit. Like, right. If anyone's ever hiked in the snow in a whiteout, like it is terrifying. Mm -hmm. You can't see many feet in front of you. You're just like, literally question yourself should i turn back now should i keep going should i turn back now it's like you you're you're like mind fucked the whole time it's similar to when you're driving through fog you know like really really foggy conditions except that you're not in a car and you're cold and you can fall off the mountain so yeah if you want to add that to it <laughs> all right so after you reach the peak you know what comes up must go down and i'm sure that was a whole nother journey did you encounter yeah. any challenges on the way down did you have to take a different route like how was the descent from cotopaxi summit once again we had to climb down that wall but this time no! backwards. <laughs> backwards okay so we had to turn Yo, get, hell you know, no. get on all four and now we're doing the crampon and ice you know axing downwards uh, and now I'm leading the way. So it, it becomes challenge number two for survival again. I was so excited to get off that mountain. I thought it was going to be cake. I thought I was just going to run down like I normally do on mountains and get, you know, to my, my beer, get to my burger that's waiting for me. Uh, and no, this was a no whole nother challenge as well. My legs were tired. They were cramping up. Um, and also the, the fact that, uh, now we have to do this wall again, that was, uh, that was very, I don't know how to put it, but it, it just, it's, it, it's another slap in the face. Like basically the, the, the way back down was not easy. It was actually just another challenge as part of the, the hike. It just never ended. 
was down climbing the ice wall more treacherous than going up it? No, going up absolutely was 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 mm -hmm. much more uh, uh, dangerous because it was obviously my first encounter. Going back, I kind of had the rhythm already, but it gotcha. was definitely still uh, a bit of a uh, you know tough tough pill to swallow knowing that you know now i'm leading the way if i make a mistake once again it, it, we're done for so again more pressure yeah everyone tuning in vic and his guide are tethered together they're tied to each other with a rope mm -hmm. yeah like that that requires like the ultimate like trust or just you need to focus like you've never ever done before like yeah this is one like mistake seriously from no joke. him one mistake from me and we're both done so it's it's a matter of trusting each other absolutely Jeez. So after you got done with the down climb, going down the ice wall, going back to base camp, did you encounter any other obstacles or how was it more like smooth? I want to say smooth sailing, but was there anything else you encountered along the way you want to share? Uh, yeah, it was actually pretty hilarious uh, when I got the crampons off and, finally, you know, we finally made it uh, uh, past like the, the ice and the glacier and all that because my boots were so, you know, wet from all the snow I had gone through that I fell probably a good, maybe 20 times in those, in that last portion of the volcanic rocks, just on my way back to a refugio. So I was using uh hiking poles to try to keep my balance, but I was also so anxious to get back that I would try to speed it up. And that caused my downfall about 20 times on the way back down. Damn. Yeah. But I was so excited that I didn't care. I would fall, get back up, and keep going. Yeah, <laughs> so like, like, a, really like, like a little kid. Yeah, like a little kid just falling. Uh, I don't know if you guys ever seen that race over, uh, over in, like, England, I think it is, where they go down this mountain chasing after, like, a cheese or something like that. It's a crazy, insane. <laughs> That's what it felt like. I just was running down so fast. I kept falling, getting up, just to try to get down there so fast. And so you finally reached base camp. What did you do when you got to base camp? Did you just knock out? Did you grab a beer, food? Like, what was the first thing you did when you finally arrived safely back at base camp? Surprisingly, I thought I was going to grab a beer, grab some food, and uh, have some laughs. But no, I was so dead tired that I took a nap. Nada. Yeah, I just, I said, I'm taking a nap. I told my guide, sorry, but, you know, tell them to put a mm -hmm. lid on my, on my breakfast because I'm too tired. He said okay, well, you only get a 15-minute nap because we got to climb back down to the car and get going. So I took a 15-minute nap what? after what? all of that. Yeah, 15 minutes is all I got before I had to get up, get some coca tea, and hike some more. Because for, don't forget, from the parking lot to the refugio, it's, it's a hike. So hike, we had to keep hiking some more after uh, my little 15-minute nap. So that's all I got. All these like slaps in the face when you're like trying to rest. Exactly. I'm telling you, it, it was, it felt like hell. Like if, if, if I really, really want to be truthful about it, I did not enjoy it a hundred percent. There was some very, very difficult times spiritually, physically that I went through, uh, discouraging points, um, portions that I felt helpless and that I felt death was around the corner that I Actually, at one point, just to tell you, it, it, I actually decided, fuck it, storm, do your thing. What? At one point. Yeah, I, I wanted to take, I wanted to just take a nap so bad. And whatever happens, happens. That's how tired I felt. 
This moment is from episode 44 guest, Chris Hazard, aka The Hiking Guy. Chris is a SoCal-based trekker, author, professional outdoors guide, hiking expert, outdoor technology geek, and is the creator of HikingGuy.com. Chris's hiking guides and virtual trail guides have been read and watched by millions online, and his attention to detail is just next level. Chris shares with us some of his absolute favorite hikes in sunny Southern California, and I absolutely loved his choices and how he described each one. To bring it back to Southern yeah. California, you know, you've done a ton of trekking and exploring all over here mm-hmm. and also obviously beyond. I'd love to know, like, what are your top three hikes in Southern California and why is each a favorite for you? Yeah, so it's a good question. I mean, we're spoiled here, first of all. Let me just preface it with we're totally spoiled. There's so many good hikes um, mm-hmm. between the desert, the mountains. And the more you hike here, I mean, you can tell a difference between like the southern, you know, southern part of San Bernardino National Forest from the northern part. Like there's like these little nuances. It's all feels different the more you kind of get into it. But um, if I had to pick a couple, I would say Cactus to Clouds is, is a favorite. Um, I, I just love, I love that you can start in the desert Basically, like, I guess, I guess it's the Sonoran Desert there. I mean, there's, you know, there's, or the edge of it maybe, but it's, you know, it's a desert desert. It's not like a high altitude desert and you, you hike up and then you're, you know, in an Alpine peak. It's, it's, it's a rare, it's a rare occurrence that you can find a trail or a system of trails where that can happen like anywhere in the world. And I always Whenever I drive back from Joshua Tree, and I forget what the road is, where you drive back down to the 10, and there's like a long descent from Joshua Tree, it kind of hooks around. And right in front of you is, is San Jacinto. And it's it's yes. huge. And you're like, oh my God. You know, when you, when you see it that way, you're like, I would never do that. But when you're in the trail, you know, you're it's it's whatever, my optic, you can only see a certain distance in front of you. But I, I love that hike. That doesn't get old for me. And my my sweet spot on that one is when the conditions are right that I can do the entire thing in daylight. Like leaving at night is okay. You know, you look with the headlamp for the little white dots and it's, you know, it's kind of a, it's okay. But when you can just experience all it all, you know, lit by the sun, it's just beautiful. And sometimes there's weather windows where it's cool enough that you can do that. Um, that's, that's one. I love the San Such an epic one. It's Such epic an one, yeah. epic trail how, how did you find it when you did it oh that was my ultimate suffer fest when i did <laughs> it um in comparison to everything i did at that point i think this was uh i think it was october i think we did it october like 2020 i believe mm-hmm. um we started so early we started at 10 30 p.m because wow. when we did it the tram restrictions were really tough because ah. typically the last tram leaves at 9 p.m yeah. Ours, since it was during COVID, the last tram leaves at 6 p.m. So it just added much more drama to the day. And I'm not going to get into it because it's like its own story I need to share in the podcast at some point. Yeah. But my group of eight became a group of five, became a group of three that all eventually made it to the summit. And this was like we did it the weekend after a snowstorm. So that last oh, wow. mi- I know you know this, the last mile of the Skyline Trail, like the sketchiest section, the Traverse, right? Yeah. I had to put on my micro spikes starting there. So it just added to like how <sighs> draining the entire day was and more challenging and made it. It was just, I'd never felt that 
like I felt like my soul was detached from my body at one point. <laughs> your soul left your body. It was like looking. My soul left my body. Like, like normally when I get to the peak and I'm like, even if I'm exhausted, a surge of energy comes out, right? No. But not that day. I was like, wow. Um, I'm gonna pass out, and even just the descent down back to the tram station was like its own outer body experience. And I had to put like snow on the back of my neck just to maintain like a sense of feeling because there's a lot of other things that happened that day that added to the exhaustion. But just yeah, it was it was a suffer fest, but a most beautiful day. It was one for the books. Like I'm never gonna forget that sunrise at like five or six a.m. Yeah, uh, rising over the desert. It was. And thank you for your guide for prepping us, you know, as much as possible. Of course. Yeah. No, that's the nice thing about that is when you get, when you get used to it a little bit more and you, and you have a good level of fitness, it's not so crazy and you can enjoy it more. Like I've done it when I've been out of shape and I've had a similar experience and I, I, you know, it, I'm, I'm running a mantra through my head, like uh beer and ice cream or beer and burger, beer and burger, like get back to the tram, make it up, go to the tram, beer and burger, beer and burger. Just to like keep me going, you know. Perfect mantra. Yeah. But other times I've sort of, sort of flown up that. I've, I've gone up like the traverse and been like, oh, wow, it's over already, you know. Other, and sometimes I'm out of shape. It's like 10 steps up and then, you know, a minute rest, 10 steps up, a minute rest because I'm just like, ugh. Uh, but anyway, so Cactus to Clouds. Uh, I like San Gorgonia Wilderness. I, I love all the trails in there. That's, that's definitely a favorite. Um, I love... Uh, South Fork up to San Gorgonio. If you go up to Dry Lake, and then take this ah. the Sky High Trail around, so that's the one that goes by the old plane wreck. Um, so basically, take the Sky High Trail around the oh god, the east and the south side of the mountain. It kind of does a loop around there, and then you go up to the summit. Then you come back down uh, to uh, Dollar Lake Saddle, and then back down on the South Fork. I just, I just love. I haven't done that one. Yeah, it, you should definitely check that out. That's like, because that Sky High Trail, it's a, it's a newer trail. I think it was built in the '60s, maybe. Um, but it passes a section of of uh, like tarn, like a like a flat alpine lake that's usually dry. But it's just it, you feel like you're in the Eastern Sierra. You feel like it's all rocky. There's no, you know, there's there's no trees. It just it feels epic. Um, so I love that. It's probably like 19 miles, maybe four or 5,000 feet altogether to do that loop. But So South Fork to Sky High to San Gorgonio. Yeah. And then back down Dollar Lake. Back down. Yeah. Okay. It's like a lollipop loop kind of from Dry Lake. Duly noted. Yeah. I've only done it via Vivian Creek. Yeah. Twice. That That's a tough one. That that's that's probably oh, yeah. the hardest one. That's I don't what is that five or six thousand feet of of climbing. Yeah, I think it's a six thousand feet elevation gain. Yeah, that's that's a beast of a mountain. I was uh I was humbled for sure. It's just so long too. It's like eighteen nineteen miles. Yeah, I know. You just kind of have to put it out of your minds when you when you do that. But uh, yeah, that that's yeah. that's a tough one. I always I always have a giggle too because that's that's probably the most popular route. Um. And probably because it's mentioned most in blogs and everything, and it's probably the most True. accessible. But uh, you know, it's the toughest one, and it's the one that people do all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. It is that is a beast of a mountain. I could go on for days about that, about my first attempt and second attempt. Mm -hmm. But uh, curious to know, what is your third favorite mountain? Sure. 
trail? Yeah. So um, for this one, I'm going to go south a little bit down to the southern part of Cleveland National Forest, since we're talking SoCal. Um, and the Big Laguna Trail, which is, uh, I don't know what it's by. It's not by anything. Um, it's, it's in the southern, <laughs> which, is, which is why it's nice. But it's, it's a neat loop. It's about 12 miles. Um, the way I generally do it, and I have a guide on my website for it, is I kind of go south. I go by this, uh, like an alpine meadow with like a big lake. Um, it, it's just really beautiful. It's mellow, kind of loop around, go up to Monument Peak, which is a nice peak. It's it's nice in terms of the uh, the prominence. You get nice views. I mean, there's radio towers up there, unfortunately. Uh, and then I do like a little off-trail scramble up to Hayes Peak and then back down on the PCT. But when you come back down along the PCT, it's up, the whole area is up on this plateau. And I don't even know how high it, maybe 5,000 feet. I'm not sure. Don't quote me on that. Um, mm-hmm. But you're up on this plateau. When you come back on the PCT, you're sort of on the edge of it. So down to the right, you have these expansive views of all of Anza Borrego. And wow. you're, in, you're in where you are. It's like alpine, subalpine, whatever that is, 5,000, 6,000 feet. There's pine trees, it's the PCT. And then you look down and it's just all like desert and this kind of gnarled moonscape. Uh, and it's just so cool. But, uh, and I, I spend a lot of time lately down in East County, San Diego, because there's just, there's so many neat trails down there that are off the beaten path uh, and, and are usually snow free for most of the winter. Um, so th- those would be maybe the, my top three. I would say I was, when I was, I was thinking about like what my favorites were. If, if you, I'm going to throw one in. I'm going to throw an extra four in there. Um, honorary one. An honorary one, but it's not in SoCal. But it's it's in a place a lot of people from SoCal go, which is Las Vegas. If you drive about an hour north, I think Las Vegas, there's the uh, uh, Mount Charleston Wilderness. I think it's called. Ah, yes, yes. Charleston Peak is there, and that is such a cool uh, hike. It's it's. And maybe 5,000 feet of climbing. It's a long day. It's probably 18, 19, 20 miles. But that peak is just so cool. You, you come out of Vegas, you're in this alpine area. You do this this trail. I mean, it's it's a good trail. There's switchbacks. It's really well constructed. It was probably built by the CCC in the 30s. And you get up to the peak and then you cross the tree line and you go up along this ridge. There's no trees down on the uh, west side. It's like the desert, Death Valley. And, uh, Probably on a clear day, you could see down to San Gorgonio. You could definitely see like Telescope Peak and Death Valley. And on the no right, no way, really that far out. Oh yeah. Um, and then on on the the right side, it's you know you can see the the sort of Las Vegas, uh, northern Nevada, as they say, area. But that's such a cool hike. So if if you guys ever go to Vegas, if you're listening, uh, lump in a day to go hiking and go up to Charleston Peak. You will not be uh, disappointed. It's a pretty cool one. That's been on my uh, list for a while because I had no clue that Vegas or Nevada had such an epic outdoor scene as well, yeah. epic mountains. Because that's the tallest peak in Vegas, right? Or I guess Nevada? No, not not in – you can't say Nevada. People get angry at you. You have to say Nevada. That's how they say it. Nevada. <laughs> um, it's not the tallest peak, uh, but it's it's one of the taller peaks there. But yeah, it's it's, it's beautiful. I, 
whenever I go to Vegas now, I mean, when I was younger, I would go there and, and drink and party and everything. But now it's just about the outdoors and it's always a, mm-hmm. it's always a, like a, a culture slash spiritual shock to go from a place like that. And then you drive back into Las Vegas and you're like, Oh God, you know, you see like the billboards for like magic acts and like the, you know, thunder down under. And you're like, Oh, where am I? See, it's those people that work on the strip and live in Vegas. They need the mountains, especially they need to balance their lifestyle out. Right. I hope they're That's enjoying it. Yeah. I hope they're enjoying it. This moment is from episode five guest, Dora Santana, a.k.a. Hiking Lotus Flower. Dora is an L.A.-based peak bagger, runner, educator, and explorer. She was one of the first people I connected with in the hiking community, and she always had some of the most inspirational Instagram captions out there. Dora shares what her 11th essential is, and all I'm going to say is that it gave me a big smile. I saw something that like definitely caught my attention. I think on one of your posts. What did you see? <laughs> I saw a bunch of people running around in onesies on the summit of one of the mountains. Oh yeah. <laughs> what is so what's what is that all about? Were you all celebrating something or like is a onesie part of the ten essentials now or like what's going on? <laughs> it's definitely one of the eleven essentials now. It's been re- <laughs> it's been rewritten. So Written don't forget the... to carry your onesie <laughs> or you will die. I'm just kidding. <laughs> No, but um, I see. Um, when when was the first time I wore a onesie? I wore a onesie the first time I ever camped. I actually camped for the first time ever in my entire life last year, and it was Baldy, and I did it for nice. one of my friends' birthdays. I haven't. I never camped at Baldy yet. That's yeah, awesome. so I wore my onesie because my friends were like, "It's gonna be cold. Just wear something warm." And I wore my onesie, and yeah, it did. It did the work. So have you what ever camped? kind of onesie? Huh? What kind of onesie? Oh, my cat onesie. Oh, wow. That's <laughs> awesome. And that one, you know what? That onesie actually has a very beautiful story behind it, like everything else. Um, I bought that onesie after my kitty cat, who I loved so much, passed away. No. I went, I went to Walmart and I saw that onesie and it looked just like him. And I was like, oh, my little bubba bear. Oh, and that's crazy. I know. And I feel like, you know, the universe always sends you signs. So I just took that as a sign. And it's my favorite. It's the only onesie I have. It's my favorite onesie. And I love it. I have a Superman onesie, but I don't think I would wear that up <laughs> to the peak. I, I, I lost the cape at like a party. It was at uh, my friend Scotty's. Shout out to Scotty and his girlfriend. <laughs> I left my cape at home at their crib. Oh, my goodness. I mean, that's a pretty smart thing to also pack, too, I feel like. It just would take up a lot of room, right? Yeah, it does. It does. So that's why um, I, I've i only done my onesie when I – I only do it when I go camping. Mm, gotcha. Yeah. You did baldy, you said, when you, did, when you wore the onesie? Yeah, that was the first time I camped. We camped that after – I don't know. Well, you said you haven't gone up the ski hut. So you go up the ski hut, you pass the switchbacks. And once you get to the top, we camped there. And then we woke up early in the morning to hike up to the summit to catch the sunrise. Oh, my, that's what I wanted to do for my birthday this year. But that didn't happen. Oh, no. You that's exactly. I wanted summer. to book book. a What is it? The ski hut, the uh-huh. San Antonio ski hut. And then yeah, do exactly what you just said. Yeah, no, it was beautiful. And it was my first, like I said, my first time 
camping, I was always scared because I'm not like the biggest fan of the nighttime and the woods. I feel like scary yeah. things happen, but no, nothing happened. So I think that helped me kind of ease in. I did a, a one night. It was just one night. Then after that, I went to Langley and that's where I stayed two nights also with my onesie. <laughs> And, you know, my onesie protects me. <laughs> hey, I, I believe you. It protects I mean, me you're... from the scary monsters that live in the forest. <laughs> you're inspiring me. I'm like going to go on Amazon right now. I need to figure out like what onesie I want to rock for my next summit. Yeah. So then I did that. And then after that, for my birthday this year, I did another. I camped at Potato Mountain and I wore my onesie too. So you've bagged like four peaks in onesies. Three, three, three. Baldy, oh, Langley. Langley counts for two, though, because Lord. Oh, you did Langley. <laughs> that's cr that's that's a huge accomplishment. Congrats. Yeah, that was my first 14er. Well, my only 14er so far, but it was definitely on my list, and I was glad to have been able to check it off last year. How many mileage? What was the mileage on that? I don't, I don't even remember, honestly. Like 15? Like, it's long, right? It's very Probably. Long. It was long, 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 yeah. Wow. Yeah, the Eastern Sierras are a, such a beautiful and special place. Yes. Oh, my God. I would. I'm ready to go back for sure. It's considered the, it's considered like the golden, like it's, it's, it's considered like the prized, like a uh, mountain range in California. I actually heard that yeah. a few times. Yeah, the Sierras for sure. Compared oh, to man. the Rocky Mountains. <laughs> oh, Colorado. Oh, yeah. Colorado's beautiful. Never been out there. You have to check it out one day. Yeah, I'm like reminiscing now about Mount Whitney, but that's a whole nother. I feel like that's a whole nother episode. <laughs> I'll talk about that for an hour. Oh, I can't wait. I, I was actually doing Langley to train for um, Whitney, but it just didn't fall through and it's okay. Everything happens you're, for a reason. You're going to do Whitney. I'm going to do Whitney. Yes, I'm going to. You don't also, um, even if you didn't get a permit, there's a lot of ways to like still do it. Yeah. Yeah. Because people are always canceling last second. You just got to go to their website forum and just refresh it over and over again and just choose some dates that you want to go up there. Yeah, definitely. I feel like one of my friends told me he was going to do that. So I might see, hopefully somebody, hopefully somebody invites me this year. Wink, wink, to... nudge, nudge, <laughs> nudge. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually, uh, I want to do it again this year. I mean, it was, that was, I would say that was the pinnacle for sure of my trekking journey. Like it was right? the most over, it was the most intense and gorgeous day I ever had in a long time. I bet. It was incredible. I bet. I'll have to talk off air about it for sure. It's, a, it's definitely a special, that was a, that was a special moment, like conquering Mount Whitney for sure. Yeah. It's a huge, huge, I feel like that's what, I mean, at least for me, that's what I'm working towards. So. Yeah. And I know you'll, you'll be able to crush it because mm -hmm. you're a badass hiker. Thanks. <laughs> this story is from episode 21 guest, Mitchell Doomlau. He is an avid hiker and peak bagger video creator, award-winning director, and is a member of the Just Trek crew. Mitchell shares how an unfortunate morning turned into a solo spiritual adventure. So we did Cucamonga Peak, big accomplishment. Now we completed half of the SoCal Six Pack of Peaks Challenge, right? Mm -hmm. So the next peak we were supposed to do 
is a beast. It is called San Gorgonio. It is the tallest mountain in all of Southern California. It stands at 11,500 feet. The length is insane. It's anywhere from like 18 to 20 miles. And it's a monster of a hike. It's it's a, it's part of the original six-pack of Peaks Challenge. And it's the mm-hmm. last one that you're supposed to conquer. But we were just like, whatever. Let's just throw it in there as like the fourth peak that we're going to do, right? Um. So what I want to get into with this hike was, can you describe what happened that morning with yeah. you and then the adjustment that you had to make. Yeah. Yeah. So again, a few days earlier, um, Justin throws out this text with 45 items and I knew that, okay, this is going to be a serious one. And <laughs> after, you know, a night's rest, I, I wake up and it's, it just feels strange. I, I it, it felt like um, I was getting up at the wrong moment. It's, it was, I knew something was wrong. So I went to bed and I was prepping for waking up at 3 a.m. I wake up and I see the clock and it's five and I freak out. And I look at my, my phone and it's turned off. And what I realized what happened was, is that I plugged it into the wall, but the charger wasn't working. It just wasn't charging. Oh, and no. so I slept past my alarm. So I'm sitting there, I plug it in, and I'm just waiting for it to actually um, turn on. And then when it turns on, I call Justin and Matt. I'm like, dude, I'm so sorry. I I slept past my alarm. And they were telling me, oh, we were wondering what happened to you. And you were telling me that's happened to a lot of people before. And don't worry about it. Shit happens. And it's too late for me to meet up with you. And so you said, okay, we're just going to go up this um, uh, mountain. But you know what? You should do something solo. You know, Don't feel like you have to, you know, quit on this one like do something solo and that actually inspired me and so i was i just went on the six pack of peaks challenge website and i looked up all the different types of hikes i can do and i just saw mount baden powell and uh i picked that one and started driving and this was within an hour of me talking to you like dang i missed this hike because at that point i was just prepped i was ready to go like i was ready to go up san gregonio and so all that anticipation and I miss my, 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 I sleep past my alarm and I miss the mountain. Like, no, I'm going to hike that day. So I found Mount Baden Powell, drove out. I mean, it's a far drive. You know, you go around the San Bernardino mountains, you go yeah, into it's like the, the back side of the mountain, right? Yeah. There's a, there's a small town. It's like starts with an F um, or something. And I got my adventure pass, go up and I just go out and venture off my, on my own. I don't have all trails. Actually, I do have all trails. I didn't download my map. So I just I just went up and I said, okay, you know what? I'm just going to follow some people. And um, it was cool. I love the feeling of being on a mountain and people are there to help you. So, you know, I just asked people, hey, how do I get up to the peak? And they said, hey, just go up this way. And it is switchback city. There's so many switchbacks. It's just steep and back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And it's beautiful. It's It's shaded. So you don't have to deal with um, a lot of heat and sun. And it's a beautiful hike through a forest. And it's not hard. It's um, it's relatively easy. And I think that the the, the summit is, is cool. It's beautiful. You know, there's some uh, history towards um, uh, behind it about the Eagle Scouts. I, th- I forgot if it was Baden or Powell. But um, getting at the top, there's a lot of great viewpoints. And I got to the top and... 
like I said before, I had my cell phone with me and a little selfie stick. I made a little video and I just had a nice little spiritual moment, you know, by myself. And before that, I've always hiked these mountains with my friends. And then being on a solo hike by yourself, it's another feeling of liberation, you know, feeling free on your own, feeling accomplished. You conquered something by yourself. And it's a very Zen moment, you know, being on top of that. I was there for about two or three hours, just meditating, looking at the mountains. Um, I don't, it's funny because when you're up there, the silence, you either take the silence as a nuisance, not a nuisance, but as boredom. You kind of have to be bored with the silence. You kind of take silence as a sign of uh, awareness, self-awareness, being there in the present moment. So it's like either you be there in the present moment and appreciate safety you appreciate you know what's around you you appreciate you know nature rather than turning on music or checking your phone or finding something to do i think that time slows down and that's what i love you know i love the moments where you are just so present that time slows down and all you have is you your thoughts the mountain nature and the wind and silence and i i love that i just felt very much like a monk and so that's why i really felt that it was a really special moment because that's you know throughout the year in covid there are moments where you have to deal with yourself you have to deal with isolation you have to deal with your own thoughts negative and positive and so you do have to look at yourself and see am i able to accept myself and love myself enough where i can be alone with myself and be okay with that and some people aren't okay with that you know and some people are and it's it's uh it's still still like a weekly daily monthly um lifetime struggle you know um being alone because humans have survived all these years with tribes you know we all survive because of tribe mentality we would have been eaten by saber-toothed tigers if we didn't have a tribe and it's built in our in our in our in our bodies that we 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 are when we are born we need love and human touch to actually survive at the same time the reason why a lot of us fear not being loved or not being enough is because we still have that tribe mentality that if I am alone, I will be killed by lions. So I need to be loved and accepted by a group in order for me to survive and have my kin. And, you know, there goes my, you know, uh, uh, continue my legacy. And so that's how I felt, you know, when I was on the mountains, I like, all right, I'm okay with myself. I was like, okay, cool. I am okay being alone. I am okay being, you know, with myself. And it was a very empowering moment. Damn. Bravo to you for like being proactive and just solo trekking and choosing a mountain on your own and doing Mount Baden Powell and just kind of going through that whole solo journey and having that mm-hmm. long, deep conversation with yourself. Like everything you just said was super powerful, especially you talking about the whole tribe mentality. Mm-hmm. I think that I'm glad you brought that up because I think it's so important to have solo adventures and solo hikes as long as you're not being stupid about it and reckless, right? Yeah. In, in, in a, in uh, in conjunction with group hikes and being with the tribe, I think both are they're both very intertwined and much needed on both ends for sure. It is, it is because I, I, you need to be confident in yourself. I think building that self confidence physically, knowing that you can 
go up a mountain without dying and also without having to ask others for water or for food or for you know medical assistance you know there's accidents that happen for sure but when you're able to go up a mountain and you feel fine up top and you accomplished it and you still have food and water you feel like a champion so it trickles down to the rest of your life like okay i have yeah. self-confidence that i can get up a mountain and not die and also have enough to go back and then have the energy to drive down to 23 or whatever that highway is True. and through the mountains, which is such, it's such a beautiful drive, everyone. Like I really oh. do want to say that going through the Angeles National Forest through that freeway, I think it's the two or 23, whatever it is, it's a beautiful drive. Wow. Yeah. I haven't done made, Mount Baden-Powell myself, so that's definitely on the list. Thank mm -hmm. you for such a great description. I'm sure I'll make it out there before the end of the year, I hope. You got but it. But I, I, I just want to comment real quick before we go to the next one. Like, I was so freaking proud of you when you made that decision to just, like, you were super bummed out. And me and Matt were super bummed out that you weren't able to join us because we were already two, 20 minutes from the trailhead, right? Mm -hmm. Like, for you to be just proactive about it and just be like, you know what? I already planned to hike this today and I want to keep on pace to do this, to complete the SoCal six pack of peaks challenge with the rest of my crew. Like that decision, like meant a lot, like to me, especially because I was like, yo, like he's about it. He gets it. Mm -hmm. Like he's, I saw the transformation really happening with you even more impactful, like at that moment. So I just want to give you mad props on that. Oh, thanks, man. I think it's um, a combination of also your guidance with the other hikes, knowing that when I had all trails, I had the right equipment, I had just more previous knowledge from three, four other mountains beforehand from you, it gave me confidence. And also I, when I'm set to complete a challenge, I got to do it. I just have to, yes. or else it's just a nagging feeling. And so it is something that is part of my personality is to complete challenges. And also I don't like being told what to do. And so if I'm, you know, <laughs> I again, freedom, if I'm, if the, alarm clock and the world is in, in the universe at that moment was telling me you're not supposed to go up that mountain i'm like all right cool well, i'm gonna go up another mountain because that's my mission for the day and i'm gonna complete it and i'm gonna complete the six pack of six six pack of peak challenge no matter what i knew you were the right person for the job that's why i was like i yeah. really want mitchell to come along in this journey we're going uh, 12 with my me friend. and the rest of the crew we're going 12 we're going 12 and you will do San Gorgonio and hopefully mm -hmm. I will join you for that as well, even though it's <laughs> it's something that I don't really try to uh, put on the calendar, right? Yeah. And then, of course, we're doing Kilimanjaro and, you know, possibly Everest. Just do it all. Everest may be, you know, too basic and dangerous now. So maybe we'll find another hike. This moment is from episode 39 guest, Stefan Fagerholm. He is the ultimate LA explorer, urban trekker, experience curator, podcast host, and is the founder of Lifehacks LA. Stefan describes the coastal Southern California gem known as Palos Verdes and why local and out-of-towners alike should explore this magical area. All right, I want to talk about this special area that many consider a coastal gem in LA County. And what I'm referring to is Palos Verdes, which also happens to be your home turf. Um, Stefan, I would love for you to describe this like stunning area and why it is a must visit for hikers, explorers, and just nature lover nature lovers overall. All right. So first of all, I call it Palos Paradise because it's just such an amazing place okay. to live and be. 
Um, you know, we've lived here for a couple of years. We, we lived in San Pedro right before, right before this. And then that's kind of how we discovered it. I mean, I already known about it and I'd gone hiking there a few times, but we went a lot more often when we lived in San Pedro and, um, man, it's just a beautiful, beautiful place. So for those aren't, that aren't familiar with it, it's like this hilltop community, gigantic. Um, there's Palos Verdes, uh, Rancho Palos Verdes, and, uh, I forget the other one, but basically they, they're kind of like overlooking the ocean. So most hikes in LA, um, the LA area, you're, you're kind of, you start at the bottom and you hike your way up. Right. Um, Palos Verdes is a little different in the sense that you're on, you start off on the top for most of them and you hike your way down to the ocean. So you've got these beautiful cliff views as you're hiking your way down and there's trails everywhere here. Like I haven't even gone to like 10% of them. So, um, I'll just be driving and I, and I'll see like a little sign for a trail. I'll pull over. It's like in some nondescript neighborhood because they have a lot of protected land here, which is awesome to, you know, so they can't build houses on it. And then I'll walk in and all of a sudden it's this massive trail that leads to this huge open park that I'd never seen before. But um, yeah, it's a, it's a really cool place to visit. I think the secret kind of got out um, during uh, COVID it, it got so bad with so many people coming here that they, they started putting in shuttle buses and stuff because Wait, really shuttle buses. Yeah. They would make you, they would make people park at a certain places just because I mean, they were, it, the town was just getting overrun back. This is back when most restaurants weren't opening and people were just looking to get outdoors and Palos Verdes kind of, you know, and they had the time to drive over here. Wow. So it's kind of gotten back to normal, but I, I would definitely um, recommend people check it out if they want a different type of hike. Um, there, there's so many hikes here, but if you want, I can kind of go over the popular ones that I, that are fresh in my head and that I know about. Yeah, sure. That'd be great. Okay. So number one is, um, ocean trails and that's kind of like, um, I think it's Palos Verdes drive West. So if you drive down Palos Verdes drive West, it's just like miles and miles of, um, the ocean on your, on your right-hand side, uh, as you're driving. And there's all these places you can stop and uh, take a hike, uh, like I was mentioning. Um, the, the, they call it ocean trails, but they all have like different names. So I, I don't know the names of all of them, but um, a big one that we do is uh, Terrania, the Terrania trails. So oh, I love that. That's such a yeah. great recommendation. Yeah, thank you. So Terrania is incredible. So it's it's this like four or five star res- luxury resort on the ocean. Uh, you know, they have swimming pools and it just looks like, crazy and it's massive like it's got a golf course and it's just sitting there on the ocean right so the cool thing about Terrania is you don't have to be a guest to go there so they have public trails mixed in with the property public trails for anyone's use and you can literally walk on to on and off the property of this incredible resort you can go in there and have a drink we've done that a few times um and uh hike literally hike down to the ocean on the rocks crashing waves and it's just miles and miles. Every time we go there, we discover something new. So definitely, um, especially if you're a beginner hiker, I would say try out Terrania Resort because it's very easy and it's got a lot of different trails and the payoff is amazing because you've just got incredible ocean and cliff views. Um, another one, this is a really popular one, is Abalone Cove. It, yeah, it, it's not far from um, Terrania. And one of the reasons why this is so popular is because they have um, little caves and they also have uh, wade pools, you know, like with little tiny animals and stuff. Exactly. Yeah. 
Yeah. So people will take their kids down there and what, when you hike down there and you get to the beach, it's like really beautiful. Like you don't even remember that you're in California. It feels like you're in a different place. Like you're at some exotic location on vacation, you know? So, um, if you haven't been here, it looks a little bit like Malibu. Um, the ocean looks a little different, but, um, it's, it's kind of some similar as far as like the cliff and ocean views that you get combined, Mm -hmm. but the hiking I'd say is probably more accessible here. Like you can pop, you can park out of your car and be on a trail in like two minutes, you know? It's interesting what you said earlier about um, trails and hikes in Palos Verdes or Palos Paradise, as you mentioned. <laughs> you you got to make that a shirt or something. That, yeah, dope. Palos Paradise. I do remember that was one thing I was, uh, that was much different than the hikes that I typically do. You start on the top and you already immediately get those ocean coastal views, like in the first like five to 10 minutes and you're already like, your jaw drops. Yeah, it's it's so beautiful. I mean, even just driving your car, like I was saying, um, Palisford is drive west is just miles of um, the ocean and cliffs on your on your on your side while you're driving. Even that's amazing. And then if you go down Hawthorne, like we live off Hawthorne, and it's up this big hill. So when we're going down the hill, we're just seeing the ocean all the way to Catalina. Yes. And I'm just like, I swear to God, every time I'm in that car, I'm like, I cannot believe I live here. It's just so beautiful because, you know, growing up, that's, you'd see that when we go on vacation every five years, you know, but now it's like every day I just have to drive five minutes and I get to see that, you know? Yeah. Just Trek listeners. So Stefan's home turf, Palos Verdes is what I always refer to as mini big sir, (laughs) because I really, it really looks like that because if you're familiar with big sir, it's these dramatic cliffside ocean view like vista overlooks right yeah and i remember just you know driving or just if i was hiking it had that same exact uh, view and like landscape and i also i'm so happy that you brought up terranea resort because that is such a gem like that Mm -hmm. is such a stunning oceanfront (laughs) resort like and like what you just said you can just explore around you don't have to be a guest you can have literally lunch or dinner at Nelson's, which is like the backside restaurant on the cliff. And then there's that little coastal trail that goes to, I think it's called, um, I think it's called beach cove or paradise cove. And it looks like a scene out of the notebook or something like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's so beautiful. And to your point, like um, you could go to Nelson's, excuse me, you can go to Nelson's or you can even bring, they have all these picnic benches there. So you can even bring food right next to Nelson's, your own food and be looking right out in the ocean. I did want to throw in one more though. Um, This one, is well known to locals, but I don't know how well known it is outside. Um, I say it's well known to locals because it's always there's always people there, but I never hear anyone else talking about it outside of Palos Verdes. And it doesn't have it, it's a little different than the other hikes that we mentioned, where you're just like you said, as soon as you step out, you you see the ocean. This is called um, Portuguese Bend. Ah, uh, yes, yeah, and you can find that at um, uh, Del Cerro Park. So there's a little park called Del Cerro Park, and then right next to it is the entry to get to Portuguese Bend. But that one, you walk out, and it's more like a Runyon Canyon type looking, you know, like it's hills and mountains and stuff. Exactly. And then Mm -hmm. far away, you can see the ocean. So it's still really beautiful. But yeah, man, you could take that thing for miles. You see little critters running around. It's 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 hotter. You're not you're not right by the ocean. So uh, that's definitely worth mentioning. Is uh, Portuguese Bend. <clears throat> That's a great recommendation. That was the first trail that I ever did in Palos Verdes, actually. Okay. And then I took it all the way down and I crossed that sketchy freeway and then I found <laughs> myself at Abalone Cove. Oh, okay, cool. <clears throat> yeah, I've never um 
across the street. I just gone down to it and then came back up. Yeah, and then I got lost, and then it was dark, and then we had to call Uber back to Del Cerro Park. I'll never forget that. It was hilarious. This is when I was like such a newbie hiker. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I could easily get lost there in the dark for sure. <clears throat> yeah, Palos Verdes is such a gem. Thank you for sharing all of that with us. This story is from episode 57 guest, Noah Klein, a.k.a. Noah the Naturalist. He is an LA-based trekker and backpacker, flautist and naturalist, experience curator, community leader, eco-musicologist, and is the co-founder of Feels Like Floating. Noah shares his grand adventure of through-hiking the 67-mile Backbone Trail in the Santa Monica Mountains. In regards to the Backbone Trail, you know, like, this is like just a Southern California gem that I feel like people know about and a lot of people don't know about. So, you know, for those people not familiar, you know, what is just like the claim to fame of the Backbone Trail? And why is it a special trail for you specifically? Yeah, well, we like, I mean, we've talked about the Santa Monica Mountains, so I don't feel like I need to reiterate what a gift they are and, and what a unique mm-hmm. marvel it is that this is just like, like something that we like have access to. Um, and, uh, and just in wanting to get to know the mountain range better, I, I feel like I'm a completionist when it comes to many things. And so uh, um, after going on so many hikes, it just becomes like, what's hiking the entire mountain range like? Um, uh, and then kind of learning, I, I must've been like five or six years ago about the Backbone Trail itself. And uh, and then also quickly learning that there's uh, very little water along the trail. And uh, and at the moment, there's really like just two campgrounds uh, that exist. So I kind two of- Two campgrounds? Yeah, so I just waited patiently to see if like, maybe in the next like five years, there'd be a little bit more care and attention to it um, towards establishing more campgrounds. And when the, when the answer was no, it just became like, well, I guess I'm just going to do it now then. Cause I don't really want to wait 20, 30 years. <laughs> um, Seize the moment. Just go. Yeah. So the basic answer to that question is the backbone trail connects, uh, um, uh, point Magoo to Will Rogers park. So the furthest, uh, North point of Los Angeles County before it turns into Ventura County. And also like basically the, the very Northern point of the Santa Monica mountains all the way to the elbow of it, uh, at Will Rogers mm-hmm. park, which is just below Temescal Canyon. And it's Will Rogers park where then like the Santa Monica mountain range starts moving, uh, East, uh, towards like what, yeah, what becomes park, Griffith yeah. park and Elysian and Elysian park would be the end of the Santa Monica mountains. Um, Wait, Elysian is part of the Santa Monica yeah, Mountains? Yeah, technically well? it's still part of the range. That I did not know. Okay. <laughs> but uh um but yeah, so uh so that's that's the through hike from from north to south. It's sixty-seven miles. You pretty much start a few hundred feet off of PCH and and you end on Sunset Boulevard. That's <laughs> such a and and when did you do this? And like what kind of was like the catalyst of like, okay, I'm gonna complete this? Yeah, well I mentioned that I walked uh um from the uh, from Griffith Park to the Santa Monica Pier. And I did that for my 30th birthday. Um, and so that was just like um, wow. a morning into sunset uh, kind of move. Um, it was 20, like 21.9 miles and and took like nine-ish hours. Um, and, uh, and so I just kept thinking about like, doing something special for the solstice this summer, uh, which is what, four, four or five days uh, before my birthday um, and, uh, and trying to connect the solstice to my birthday. And then I looked up, I was just thinking about the Backbone Trail again and how much I'd love to do it, how at this point in my life, it feels like such a wonderful thing to do. I, um, I did Mount Whitney uh, last spring in, uh, in May, so spring of 2021, and, uh, and didn't do anything too crazy oh, this yeah. year with my body. And uh, I love a good endurance challenge. Um, and, uh, 
and I received my naturalist certification um, from uh, from USC earlier this year. So in terms of like both like the knowledge that I've really tried to intentionally uh, uh, take in and learn from and wanting to really apply it, I just thought that really spending this, taking this time to turn off my phone, take a few days off work, like both like honor my own solar rotation, um, the, the summer solstice and, uh, and just get to know these mountains as deeply as I possibly could. In that short amount of time, it just felt like something that I, I needed to do with myself. And I'm glad that everyone was really supportive of it. Um, despite telling me that it was incredibly stupid, which is true. Um, I would say if anyone was going to do it, don't do it uh, um, in the dead of summer. You got to be a little reckless, right, Noah? Yeah. You got to be a little reckless in life. I also thought I was little. being more responsible. I, I looked at the weather. I looked at Malibu and it was like 78 degrees. And I was like, oh, great. And my I I kind of forgot that the, the trail's inland. And so when I was looking at 78 degrees, I was looking at the beach and not uh, <laughs> not the 98 to 102 yes, or 104 that it actually was every single day that I was on the trail. The trail Wait, with no water. What's up? In what month did you start? I know you said your birthday. Oh, yeah. So. Yeah, I started uh, June 21st and I ended June 25th. Okay, so the summer. Gotcha. Yeah, so five days, four nights. Wow, and it's a 67-mile thru-hike. It's so trippy that we even have a thru-hike next to the city. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's tough to make it a thru-hike. To make it a thru-hike, you do need to break the law. Um, but, uh, that, but That's right, because there's only two campgrounds. Yeah, but but there, there are laws that like no one should feel bad about breaking. It's like, just, just be smart, be careful. Don't get caught by a ranger. <laughs> <laughs> did, did you have moments that you felt yourself like mission trek impossible like hiding in the bushes or anything oh yeah at one point i was about to set up my tent in an area oh that would be God. perfect and uh and then a drone like a, a national parks drone went overhead and i was just like Wait, well, really yeah and i was like well i can't set up here so i just kept walking um and uh, and then i lost my perfect setup and i had to set up somewhere that wasn't quite as desirable but uh but then my first night um uh, was one of the most epic like tent sites I will have in this lifetime, which is like I know how special Sandstone Peak is is to you, and that was my first time yes. being there. Um, and uh, and I started going from Point Magoo down to Will Rogers, whereas most people start in Will Rogers and go towards Point Magoo. So Sandstone okay, Peak is the, yeah, is the largest peak in the Santa Monica Mountains. I forget what the um uh, what the feat is off the top of my head, but to get to that mountain, you have to cross the mountains that are in front of it. <laughs> So it's like I started the ocean, I summited, and then completely wow. went back down one mountain, and then I got, and then you could still see like Sandstone Peak way off in the distance. And all day, I'm just thinking like, I'm I'm getting there today, and it's, it's getting closer <laughs> and closer. And and uh, and then I was on, illusion, yeah. And then I was on the mountain, slowly switchbacking. It was obvious that no one had done that trail, and who knows how long, or if they had, they were uh, cyclists, just because like. There were parts that were so overgrown. If I didn't have like a GPS on my phone, I uh, used the Gaia GPS uh, that, that okay. works offline. Like, I don't know what I would have done. <laughs> um, uh, and um, and yeah, I got, got up to Sandstone Peak just as like sunset was in full swing. And so I, oh, I, my goodness. I, I ate up at the top. There were a couple of other folks just like watching the sunset as well. Very confused as to why I entered the way that I did with a giant backpack. Um, and uh, And just as the sun got to like, really really dip i i set up my tent um just at the at just i mean right at the edge of the rock basically at this uh uh overlook that uh was looking over the valley more so um and that was a night where we were having a summer thunderstorm um oh my goodness. In like uh castaic i think it got as far west as as van nuys and i was watching it off in the distance just really really hoping it did not come my way because uh, i figured that was not a possibility so i did not bring a rain fly <laughs> 
Um, and the last place you want to be is on the tallest peak in the Santa Monica Mountains when there's yep. a thunder and rainstorm. <laughs> yep, definitely thought about that. It was just like, I, I hope that this was not a horrible decision. <laughs> But it was just stunning. It was beautiful. I was also very concerned about mountain lions, um, uh, just trying to to cover all my bases. Um, uh, and that was, yeah, I mean, that's truly just one of the most special experiences I think I'll just ever have in Los Angeles in the Santa Monica Mountains, uh, camping in general. Um, and then I just got up at the break of dawn, packed packed up my things, um, uh, walked the uh, the trail that everyone else walks up to get there and brushed my teeth and ate a, a power bar in the parking lot. And later, like, I'm mean, not later, probably an hour later, I continued on the trail and I ran into my first, um, my first ranger who was very confused what I was doing. Uh, he saw my, he saw my pack. He saw my camping gear. Um, uh-huh. uh, he, we talked about, would you see him at like circle ranch area or, Oh no, it was, we were a little bit past circle ranch. Um, it was one of the transitions of the Canyon a little bit after God's seat. Uh, so it was like one, I think it was just one Canyon over from, uh, from, uh, sandstone peak. Um, I was like okay. maybe like two miles past it. So it was still pretty early in the day and we were, we were chatting a bit. Um, he ended up finding a weird like plant operation where someone started like taking down plants on the trail and planting their own and uh and i ended up helping him do his like his research and work um and he he wasn't too aware in the world yeah i mean he just didn't know much about the natural ecology like he's like great he seemed like a great uh um great person great ranger but was like had come here stationed from somewhere else and so he was like trying to figure out what was native um why someone would plant what they planted we were talking about fire season so it was kind of fun to get involved but then he was also like uh, very much inquiring what I was doing, why I had camping gear. Uh, he got really excited when I told him about the Backbone Trail and how upset that I was. I, I started looking into community meeting notes to see why campgrounds weren't readily available along the Backbone Trail and saw that the homeowners in Malibu uh, were very anti-campground, um, uh, which like I both understand. I'm also very against like their reasoning for it. And it's like fire restrictions. They think that everyone's just going to come through and party. And it's like, obviously there can maybe be a permitting system um, uh, and other, other things to put in place to make sure that like, maybe there's just five campsites. And, and uh, so it's, it doesn't become a crazy thing Um, and, and ways to get around that. But we talked a bit about that, the politics of it. He, uh, he said he rarely sees anyone doing the backbone trail. I don't think he'd ever seen someone do it all the way through. He said he just sees people doing it in like the small legs and sections and, and locals who just do it for exercise in the morning, um, which I saw plenty of. Um, uh, and so I, I didn't want to be fully honest with him. I certainly didn't want to tell him I just camped at Sandstone Peak, uh, cause I don't know what would have happened. Nope. <laughs> um, but, uh, he asked why I had my camping gear and I told him that I, I had started, training uh, from Whitney. <laughs> I told him I started in the evening the night before and that I was going to walk straight through to Malibu Creek campground, uh, to where the first official campground was. And he told me I was crazy. And I told him there's great videos on YouTube of, of, of people who have hiked it straight through without stopping, without camping. Maybe they just like take a two hour power nap here and there along the trail, um, but do it in about like 60 hours or something. Um, what in the world? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that, that was fun. I, I, I ran into two rangers. They were both, uh, both, both pretty, pretty kind and, and very interesting to talk to. Um, and other than that, I, I would go the whole, the whole day without seeing people for the most part. Um, Cause when you're on those Canyon stretches, a couple of them are pretty small where it's like a mile or two here and there. But for the most part, it's like, a 10 to 15 mile stretch uh, between canyons and you see people within a mile of the parking lot. And then the rest of it, it's, you're just alone. Um, and maybe it's because it was summer and it was way too hot. And why would anyone be doing that except for me? <laughs> but it was, it was pretty spiritual. I feel like some of my biggest takeaways were just trying to like 
walk in reciprocity with the land. The first, uh, the first handful of hours, I was super irritated by how many flies and bees were landing on me. But really, in trying to think about um, like what it means to like walk in gratitude, to to be part of like the symbiotic relationship with the trail, to um, to really take in like the native plants that are growing and flourishing along those trails that I've never seen anywhere else in Los Angeles. Like the Humboldt lily was in abundance on those trails, and I've never seen that flower in my life. And and knowing how what abundant, section? Um, more so the northern section uh, throughout Malibu, and then a little bit into uh, into the more rural Topanga Canyon aspects. Uh, and that's okay. beautiful, beautiful flower. It looks like a lantern, um, uh, but. Uh, but yeah, just at a certain point, it was just like, oh, well, I realize I'm actually the only water source for for a lot of these. So it's like, they're not bothering me. Like, I may as well just walk. And if like a bee wants to land on me and like sip on some of my beads of sweat, that's that's chill. So just <laughs> kind of quickly. Became... The perspective. This story is from episode 51. Guess Cisco, a.k.a. Hiker Fighter, a.k.a. Behind the Pain and Suffer. Cisco is a SoCal based trekker rock climber, ultra trail runner, peak bagger, mental health advocate, and mountaineer. Cisco shares one of the most emotional outdoor adventures he's ever embarked on. It is a tale of honoring life in the Eastern Sierra Mountains. I want to talk about your most recent outdoor adventure that you embarked on. And you describe this trip as incredible, emotional, and even spiritual. And you were in the Eastern Sierras tackling a mountain that is not too well known and not often spoke about. And that mountain is called Bear Creek Spire. Yes. What exactly brought you to this particular peak? And what was the significance of this trip for you? Okay. All right. So the reason why I did this mountain, because a friend of mine, it was hiking partner, climbing partner, and he was part of the Team No Sleep with Tony. Iris and Ali, they're part of, uh, his name's Nemo, Nemorio. His full, his full birth name is Nemorio Hernandez, Nemorio. but we call him Nemo. Um, he unfortunately hiked that mountain on his own solo without any, without any ropes or anything, just free solo climbing it. Wow. Yeah, and I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a, I mean, it's a five, the route we did was a five, three, five, four, and, but still, you need ropes, you know. A good, strong climber can do it without consoloing. But he was strong, but, I mean, anything can happen, you know. Even the um, the strongest climbers, you know, have fallen free solo. But mm-hmm. he was still, I guess, I guess two years into it, climbing. But he gotcha. was a natural, strong climber. Um, that, it was, a, it was last year, 4th of July weekend. He Last year? Yeah, so it's been a year now. Wow. So that 4th of July weekend... I've already made plans with two of my friends uh, backpacking trip in the Sierras. It was with um, Jason, SD hiker, and Diana, hiking the adventures. Mm-hmm. So there were, and then he actually texted me. He's like, hey, dude, Cisco, you want to go do Bear Creek Spiral? And I didn't know what it was. I, was like, I actually put my te- my tech the message um, saying, what's that? That's how, that's how I, I didn't know it's about that. pretty wild that's, name. Yeah. So I didn't know. And, he, and, he, and, he told, and I looked it up. And I was like, oh, okay. And I told him, well, I'm, I'm already busy that weekend i already had plans but i told him i'm free on on monday or sunday i'll be in the sierra still and he and and he couldn't um, he couldn't do it is that okay and i told him my last message was um best of luck be safe that was a message on my instagram messenger that uh that i we, we talked and that mm-hmm. was the last i've heard of him um unfortunately 
that back that weekend when when I went backpacking and he went to do that mountain, I didn't tell my I didn't tell my Jason or D, but I had a really bad feeling with my friend. Oh, you had a feeling. Feeling already. like wow. like I feel like my, you know, it's like a energy, you know, the vibe, like like my heart started like pumping. It was anxiety. I just kept thinking about Nemo. It was like like something was wrong. Like I felt like. Uh, the energy, the universe is telling me that my friend had some, was was hurt, but I didn't want to tell my friends because you know the vibe. I just want to keep it to myself. Mm-hmm. But as soon as I got back down and got serviced and everything, I texted my friend, my new one, and I, I kept texting him. He never really like, he never messaged me back. I was just like worried and just thinking like, man, I hope he's safe because uh, I just reading the research about it, it was a, it's a, it was a climb to do a rock climbing, but I knew he was strong and everything. He's just He's a fearless guy. He's a mountain goat. He's faster and stronger than me, actually. So I never thought in my mind that yeah. something bad was going to happen with him. Um, and sure enough, um, to the, um, the next day, I, mean, I got a call from, um, it was a message from David Trailmax. He messaged me, he told me, like, did you hear about Nemo? And I was like, no. Oh, and he told so me, you found out the day after yeah. he already was supposed to finish yeah. his climb. yeah. So after and uh and then I didn't, couldn't believe it and then I called in Tony and then I got a message from Tony, he started crying and then I, and I couldn't he was like he like he was that he he passed he passed away in the mountain, and I was just devastated I couldn't believe it, and then we started and then I started messaging with Iris she told me she already knew about it, and I told my other and then I called my friend Vicky another good friend of mine. And she was at work, and she thought it was like playing. I was lying. I told her, nope. I was just, we were just disbelief, yeah. disbelief, <laughs> and then just shocked. Um, I no words can can describe. I just couldn't couldn't think Nemo. Like really, like he he's a mountain goat. He you know he um, you would think you're like people think you're unstoppable. You know, like you're strong, and everything, mm-hmm, but it can happen mm-hmm. to anyone. Um, and you brought something. Yes, uh, when I would you like to show? Yes, I actually. Um, so this is his backpack, Nemo's backpack that um, he last he last did. You know, Bear Creek spiral, spiral. So he did Bear Creek Spiral with his very backpack. Yeah, his backpack. Yeah. And you wore this over the weekend. Yes, over in the honor weekend. of him. Yes, over the weekend, in honor of him. I've waited over a year to do this. I wanted to because every, every 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 anyone passes away. I've it's a tough year. The first year is always the toughest to grieve, um, to grieve through. And um, I waited for a year just to wear this backpack. I never used it for any hike. That's so crazy. So I wanted to honor him and go back and do, and go do this mountain for him. Um, so you did it, and I did it, and it was an um, amazing, incredible experience. We backpacked it with my another friend of mine. His name's Daniel Guerrero, uh, another climber of mine, and and he's a good friend of with Nemo as well. Um, we um, we were just so impressed and how how strong that he did it in one day. Nemo did it in one day, doing bear creek and we did it backpacking and we we struggled like it was like hard just to get to the approach, climbing it, mm-hmm. getting down, me carrying all the gear and everything. It was a, it was a challenge for me to do as well. So it was a great experience to do. Um, but when I wore his backpack for the first time hiking this mountain, I was like I felt like. His presence, I felt his energy. I felt he was with me. Like I can hear his, like his voice. He was telling me because he speaks. Um, we usually uh, speak in Spanish. He would tell me, "Si se puede, si se 
tú sí puedes. Like, vamos, Cisco, vamos, Cisco, uh-huh. échale ganas. No pica, uh, like just some small jokes. We had some inside jokes we would do. Uh, saca la mota, like, you know, because we used to smoke weed all the time in the way. So it was just like little jokes like that. I just can hear his voice echoing in echoing, your mind. Yeah, yeah, just like, yeah. and I can feel it. I can feel his strength. And like, I felt like he was with me the whole way, all the time. Wow. So even like when we made it to the summit, um, there was a small, like there was a register, like, you know, those um, register signs. I was, and I was like trying to find his name. It was like on the registers on the paper when people signed their name and it was all mixed in different orders the on the dates because people were just you know putting it whatever there was gotcha. a space and i was just desperate looking and then when i found it oh you found it yeah his name i actually posted on instagram too that his name and i was just so i was just crying i literally just cried like like just crying and then wow. and daniel's like what happened like you find his name and he's like yeah and he's he's just like his name right here and he, he made it at 9 in the morning he summit at 9 in the morning and we summit at 10 a.m so he was an hour ahead of us that he's that's so strong he that's was how strong he was he was and he made it at 9 a.m so there was proof that he actually made it to summit um i can't believe i can't man just you finding that message i could only imagine the emotions that just like surged through you at that exact it was just moment. like i just i was just hiking the mountain just hiking to the trail just little tears or you know just tears crying my you know my eyes the anxiety just this excitement i was just like determined to do this like i was just ready for, to honor him for my friend um, i felt when you read that message though like there was some kind of like there's closure oh right? yeah definitely closure. Like complete some kind of completion to the entire story right yeah it was like uh i felt like i am at peace now because mm. i was so I was so much such a mess, losing a friend just or anyone like just like my mother as well. It just that depression hits you, and it's just like you hike certain mountains that you have memories with your friend, and you just like man, I wish he was here. Um, when we went climbing on some a, a, a specific rock, it was just like oh we did this. Oh I remember he wanted to, we had plans to doing these uh, these peaks these challenges. Mm-hmm. So we had so many goals because. I got to give all credit to Nemo because without him, he would never would have pushed me to the, my next, like, out of my comfort zone. Like, he actually got me more, he got me into climbing. He actually wanted to keep pushing, my, pushing me to the next hiking level. This moment is from episode 58 guest, Carla Amador. She is a SoCal-based trekker and backpacker, nature's spiritual teacher, world traveler, outdoor entrepreneur, and is the founder and chief hiking officer of the 52 Hike Challenge. Carla shares the one outdoor experience she would want to relive all over again. She further goes on to lead an impromptu meditation that becomes quite the impactful moment that greatly affected me emotionally. If there was one hiking or outdoor experience you could just relive all over again for yourself, Carla, what would that be for you? Yeah, that one was easy. I have a hike. It was a backpacking trip to Big Pine Lakes. And I don't know what happened, but I was in a meditative state. I was meditating. And I, even the hike there, everything I felt, the beauty of that place, I just felt the most peaceful feeling I've ever felt. And I think the second place I felt that was at Glacier National Park recently. 
And it was just like staring at the beauty of nature, the perfection of nature and how everything's okay. Everything is perfect exactly as it is right now. Wherever you are, close your eyes. We're going to do a little meditation. Take a deep breath. Visualize the most beautiful vista of your life. If you could paint the most beautiful picture of nature, maybe there's a lake. Maybe there's a beautiful sunset with colors like orange and pinks. Maybe the sun is out. Maybe there's stars. Maybe there's quiet stillness. Maybe there's an owl sounding in the back. But what you feel inside is peace, a a stillness like no other. Just breathe into that. Take a deep breath and uh, come back with us. We all have that peace within us and mother shows us. Everything is in, it is perfect just as it is. And we can access that any moment we are struggling. That is actually where I go to. That is my safe space when I need a moment. I can take myself there. I can transport myself to that safe, beautiful spot in nature that I just felt so peaceful, so whole, so perfect. And now I can go there any moment I close my eyes. Oh, my goodness, Carla. You got me really emotional right now because I literally transported to that place five that I experienced five years ago in the Santa Monica Mountains. That, that peacefulness and that just life-changing. Thank you. Oh, my goodness. Okay. (laughs) Thank you. That was such a trippy experience. I literally transported out of this podcast out into the mountains. And it works. That was beautiful. It works. Like, even I did. As I was, like, thinking about, I could see the sunset. I could see the painting. And that's what I'm talking about. Like, close your eyes. Picture your perfect life. Feel, breathe in what you want to, to, to bring into your life, what you want to call it. We're not taught this. A lot of times our parents taught us fear and why we can't have the thing we want. But no, like take this opportunity to start focusing on what you want to, how you want to feel and what you want to experience in life and, and know that you have the power to, to create life. We're creators. Oof. Man, that was beautiful and powerful. There was um sorry, I'm still like still processing what happened. <laughs> we had a spiritual moment on the Just Trek podcast. I'm feeling it. Everybody. I'm feeling it. It's like in my heart. Like yeah. there's some very powerful things that have come through today that I'm like, yes. And, and it's not me. I always say I'm a vessel, like just like 52 hike challenge, like that's just coming through and I'm allowing that to come through. And I'm not afraid to say, this is who I am. This is what I'm allowing because it works for me. I'm not saying it works for everyone. It works for me. And so I even told you when we started out today, I said, I just, I literally was in prayer and just like, whatever needs to come through, like allow me to, to express that. 
And I'm reading a beautiful book right now called A Return to Love. This year, I'm going to post the books on my stories that I've I've been reading. I completed one. A Return to Love, she's always like, every morning start off with prayer. Who would you have me talk to? What would you have me do? You know, like instead of making it about me, it's like allowing source to work through you and being a vessel, a Mm. channeling for what we're all here to learn, which is like, we're here to learn to like be more loving and kind. Absolutely. It's coming back to me what I wanted to actually say. And I just wanted to comment that like what you were alluding to through your description of, you know, what that place you wanted to relive that experience. Like, I feel like when we're out in such a majestic, beautiful place and we can experience the vastness of nature, like we begin to realize there's infinite potential in this life for us. Yeah. And that's what I was trying to say, but I got so caught up in my feelings to where you transported me that I just literally had a blank slate in my mind, which is not a bad thing. It was just, I was, I was fully in that moment. And that's true. So that's the infinite of space of nature, the, you know, yeah, it opens you up when you look up at the sky and you realize I'm nothing, but I'm everything, but I'm, but I'm nothing, but I'm every, and we also like, we're made up of, everything that we are when we're in nature, like we're we're made up of all of the same elements, you know? So it's, everything is connected. Everything is connected. And so, yeah, no, I, I'm so happy we had this conversation. I must say these best of just her compilations are so cool and so much fun to listen back to. It's essentially a separate episode played for you to enjoy the many diverse voices that we've had in the show. Each person brings something unique to the table with their different storytelling styles. And I hope these snippets encourage you to listen to the full episodes of each guest if you have not already. If you enjoyed this episode and found value in it, take a screenshot on whatever streaming platform you are currently listening on and tag us on Instagram at just.trek. That is J-U-S-T period T-R-E-K. I would love to see who is tuning in, and it also helps us with spreading awareness about the episode so that others in the community can tune in as well. In other words, keep on spreading the love. With all that being said, let's get into our official outro. Thank you, gracias, and salamat for tuning in to the entire episode. If you like the show, make sure to subscribe and leave a review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts slash iTunes. Follow us on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We are streaming on all the major platforms. If you want to send me a message, email justtrekofficial at gmail.com or slide in my DMs on Instagram at just.trek or on my personal at justrock, J-U-S-T-R-O-C. If you would like to support my creative endeavors, check out the merch store on justtrek.net slash shop. For more outdoor inspiration, make sure to check out our website, We have blogs, vlogs, and trip reports. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Have a wonderful day, and please remember to just keep on trekking.